and we are on air for the Las Vegas NASCAR Race Review and Hot Topics Sound Off. Uh, and uh, joining me for tonight's show will be our co-host, Sal Segala. He's not here yet, but I'll go ahead and review our agenda for tonight, and uh, we'll introduce him as soon as he does come on. Okay, we're going to start with a few updates from the Arca Menard Series. The Arca East has already wrapped up their season, and then we're going to review the Arca West Series at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. They actually raced at the Bullring in Las Vegas. Next, we're going to review the Truck Series at Bristol. That's all during our first half hour. And then in the next half hour, we'll review the... Uh, NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Series at Las Vegas. Uh, At uh, 9.30 tonight, we will have our NASCAR Hot Topics sound off, and uh, we'll definitely look forward to that as well. Okay, so just to get us started here, uh, we are going to uh, go ahead and get into our introduction here of Sal Segala. First of all, Sal, welcome back. Thank you, Sharon. Okay. Uh, I've already gone through the review of the evening, uh, so we'll just real quick talk about the next race for the Arkham Menard Series, and that is the Sioux Chief Powerpex 200 on October the 2nd at 8 p.m. Eastern Time at Salem Speedway. It will be broadcast on MAV-TV. If uh, fans have that, they can follow along there. If not, you can also follow along at ARCARacing.com, where they have a radio broadcast as well as their Race Central that gives you live updates from the track. Now, keep in mind, this race is also... The finale for the Sioux Chief Showdown, so we'll know who our Sioux Chief champion is, conclusion of the Sioux Chief Powerpex 200 on October the 2nd at Salem Speedway. So a big night on October 2nd next weekend, so. Yeah, it's going to be a big night for the, for the, um, for the, for Ohio. I mean, how else could you put it for the 18 and under for the young guns that are coming up through the um, <laughs> through this through the series? Because I'm sure a lot of people don't realize that that this actually series is for, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's for 18 18 years and and younger. Well, we have drivers that do race that are older, but uh, it, right now it feels like it's for the young guys. Uh, because that's that's who we have racing. Uh, but let's go ahead and cover the points for the ARCA series real quick here uh, and what they uh, are racing for next weekend. Are you talking about the, excuse me, Sharon, the, the Sioux Chief or just the ARCA series? Which one do you have up? I have either. I can, I can get either one up, <laughs> I think. Okay, I can get so either one up, with yeah. whichever Which one, one you, want? you want to go with first. Okay, I okay. have the Sioux Chief. Okay, do the Sioux Chief. Chief. Okay, so Sioux Chief, we got number one, Ty Gibbs. 
leading the points. Um, second in points is Corey Heim. Third in points is Nick Sanchez. Fourth in points is Thad uh, Moffitt. And the top five is Taylor Gray. Those are the top five. Okay, of, so that championship will be decided next weekend. Yeah, and and uh, it, it almost looks like it's going to be between, well, it almost looks like Ty Gibbs already has it locked up. It's a lot of um, uh, 17 points. There's a lot of points to make up in one race. Okay, it, and it, what about best, the Arkham Menard Series? Especially if the car count. If they don't, if they don't have a big car count for this race, then it, you That's know, true. then everybody knows, you know, and you know, it's going to make it just that much harder. Arkham Menard is kind of a um, a standard uh, for the Arc Series. It's a very historic track for the Arkham Menard Series, so I expect the car count to to be fairly decent. Yeah, that's and and I, and I hope so too. You know, because you know, it makes it it makes it more exciting for the drivers for the fans. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of you know just you know a driver going in there and saying, well, hey, you know, we have eight nine cars. You know what? It's it's a, it's a lock. You know, I just got to go make laps. You know, which is you you know which is usually you know what happens. But you know, ho- hopefully, you know that you know it'll, it'll make it an enjoyable race. You know, to and a good way to end for them to end their season. Yeah. Ar- okay, Arkham Menards is a whole different ball game. <laughs> Once again, Tiger leading the points. Uh, Corey Himes in second, Dad Moffitt's third, Nick Sanchez fourth, and Brad Smith to round out the top five in the Arkham Menards <clears throat> series standings for 2021. And then um, in six, we got Drew Dollar, Taylor Gray, D.A. Wilson, Kyle Sieg, and Jesse Love round out the top ten in points. Okay, so really a two-man race in that event. Uh, we'll we'll be previewing and giving a few more details on that on Thursday night. Uh, but let's go to the Bull Ring at Las Vegas for the Arkham and Art Series West. They raced this past week on Thursday night, and it was Taylor Gray coming home with the trophy from the Las Vegas Bull Ring. Yeah, that was an exciting uh, victory for Taylor. Uh, you know, especially, you know, after, you know, what he's what he's had to, you know, overcome, you know, when he had the, mm-hmm. you know, the injury earlier in the season, you know, to come back. And actually, this is the second win in a row because he did pick up the win in Portland, you know, when, yeah. uh, you know, when um, Jake Drew and, uh, and I, gosh, I can't remember the other driver had that, um, had those penalties. So, actually, yep. Taylor Gray picks up two wins in a row. And Vegas is a tough race. I usually, I usually get, I usually cover this race. But because of COVID, because I've had COVID, I wasn't able to get out there the Thursday. But I, I did watch. I was able to watch some of the highlights from it, and um, it was a dominating yeah, win. You know, I just go we're ahead. very happy that you're recovering from that, Sal. I know there's still some residual, but uh, at least you're feeling better now, right? Yeah, I'm doing a little bit better. You know, I mean, it's it's. It's just a weird virus, you know. I it, I took it lightly when it, when all my friends were getting it, and now that I have it, it's different. And but you know what? I just have to have to keep motoring on, and 
And um, you know, there'll be times when I'll I'll be I'll be pausing, you know, to uh, catch my breath. But, right, right. Okay, just to give the rundown here uh, of this race, we had some drivers that were out for various and assorted reasons, including Mariah Boudreaux, uh, who was involved with a crash, as was Bridget Burgess and Amber Balcane. Uh, Paul Pedrincelli had a brake issue. Amber Slago had problems with the radiator as did John Wood. So none of those drivers were able to finish the race. Uh, but uh, the top 10 were, of course, Taylor Gray, the top finishing rookie, followed by another rookie, Jake Drew, uh, finishing in second. Then it was Trevor Huddleston, Joey East, another one of the rookies, uh, finishing in fourth, and Kyle Keller, another rookie, rounding out the top five. The next five are Cole Moore, Paul Pedrincelli Jr., Takuma Koga, Josh Kanopoulos, and rounding out the top ten is Christian Rose. Uh, in that group, I believe, out of the top ten, there were seven drivers that were rookies, only three uh, non-rookies in that top ten. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. There was also five women in this race, too. Yeah, the race this race, <laughs> you know. That's amazing. Um, unfortunately, all of them had their issues, you know, went out. But I mean, yeah, there was um, we have we have five women that were uh, part of this race, and um, just oh, to, just to mention, uh, Jake Drew. This is his, they got a new name for him. They call him P two Drew because he P2 just can't seem to. He just can't seem to win a race because all the all the second place finishes he has, and he went on, yeah. on Instagram and and posted that that his new nickname is P two Drew now. So he's got two races to try and to try and make better on that. To try to to come up with that victory. Okay, now let's take a look at the uh, point standings because that tightened up a little bit with this race, Jay or Sal. I'm sorry. Yes, it did. Actually, it, it brought um, it brought Jake Drew within seven points of the um, of the championship because Jesse Love had a, a flat tire, had his issues um, on Thursday night. So leading the points is Jesse Love, and second is Jake Drew, third is Cole Moore, who's gosh, he's just silent, hasn't hasn't been really, you know, made that much of a. a so much noise, but 14 points out, he still has an outside chance, especially when they get to uh, Phoenix, because we know Phoenix is going to have that big car count, and there's going to be a lot of points mm-hmm. up for grab in Phoenix. And then fourth is Joey East, fifth is Paul uh, Petroselli Jr., run out the top five. And then from there, then we go down to six, which is Trevor Huddleston, which is Jake Cruz's teammate from Sunrise Ford. Seventh is Todd Sousa. Eighth is Takuma Koga. Ninth is Bridget Burst. And rounding out the top ten is Bobby Hillis Jr. Um, actually, Takuma from Japan, this is by far the best season he's ever had. He's never finished. I don't think he's ever finished in the top ten in points. And right now it's sitting eighth. And he, and he makes yeah. the trip out from Japan to, uh, to race in the series. 
I think it's fantastic. And all top 10 drivers have raced all seven races. So uh, I tell you what, this is really tightening up. you got a tie for fourth and fifth uh, between Joey East and Paul Pedrincelli. They're just one point behind third-place driver Cole Moore. So that's, those guys are going to be racing uh, for the best possible finish they can get in these next couple of races. And, of course, Jake Drew is knocking on the door of the uh, points leader, Jesse Love, with just seven points uh, separating them. So this is going to get exciting down to the wire. Yes, it is. And actually, Takuma Koga signed on for next season to to drive again with with, uh, with uh, Jerry Pitts racing. So yeah. So uh, so he's he's coming back. He's coming back for another season in the number seven, uh, Jerry Pitts right. um, uh, car. So that's going to be a that's going to be good for him and good for the series. Yes, indeed. I think it's very, very exciting. Okay, we're going to move on now to the uh, truck series because they also raced at Bristol, not Bristol, but Las Vegas Motor Speedway this weekend. And uh, their next race is going to be at Talladega Super Speedway, which is the second leg of their uh, first round, so this is going to be exciting. Jay and I will uh, preview that race on Thursday night, starting at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, but uh, the race at uh, Las Vegas was pretty exciting uh, on Friday, September the 24th at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Um, Christian Eckes led a historic one, two, three, four finish for Thor Sport Racing for the second consecutive week. The NASCAR Cup Series Truck Series crowned the first-time winner. Uh, this week it was Christian Eckes, a 20-year-old New York native, who took the lead on the final restart with four laps remaining to claim his first trophy and lead that one, two, three, four finish for Thor Sport Racing. He won the Victoria's Voice Foundation 200, presented by Westgate Resorts, in the Truck Series at Las Vegas on Friday night. He took the lead with a three-wide pass following a restart with four laps to go. The caution flag waved again on the last lap for a wreck, ending the race under yellow and allowing Eckes to nab his first career victory. Second-place driver was Ben Rhodes, then it was Matt Crafton, Johnny Sauter uh, giving Thor Sport the top four spots. Uh, in fifth place was Todd Gilliland. And then the next five drivers were Stuart Friesen, Grant Enfinger, Austin Wayne Self, Ryan Truex, and Austin Hill to round out the top ten. Todd Gilliland won stage two and led most of the laps for the night, pacing 66 of 134 laps. Many of the playoff drivers did have troubles throughout the night. The pole sitter and stage one winner, John Hunter Nemechek, had power issues. Zane Smith suffered a flat tire while battling with Nemechek for a position, but also had issues with his battery. Uh, Sheldon Creed and Chandler Smith were involved in a frightening crash, and both fortunately were okay. On lap 127, Carson Hosefar spun while attempting to drop to pit road for a flat tire. 
He was then penalized for NASCAR for intentionally bringing out the yellow and was held a lap on pit road. There were 14 lead changes among 11 drivers and 10 cautions for 39 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 105.358 miles per hour. Christian Eckes won the uh, it was his first victory in 45 Camping World Truck Series races, his first victory in fourth top 10 finish this year, and his first victory in fourth top 10 finish in six races at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Ben Rhodes posted his seventh top 10 finish in 11 races at Las Vegas and his 14th top 10 finish this year. Matt Crafton in third posted his 16th top 10 finish in 26 races at Las Vegas. Chase Purdy finished 13th. He was the highest finishing rookie of the race. And we had a little bit of a shakeup in the point standings, and we'll cover that in just a few minutes. Uh, But, uh, Sal, let's go ahead and uh, get your thoughts about the race results here. Yeah, you know, it was um – this actually wasn't supposed to be the race, you know, that we've seen all these incidents happening, but I know they did talk about it. We expect to see what happened <laughs> next weekend for Talladega. I mean, that yeah. wreck by um, Sheldon Creed, boy, that was even, he said he didn't see nothing. He, he went down mm-hmm. because he figured that was where it was open with all the smoke and didn't realize, you know, that Chandler Smith was down there, you know, and, and T-boned him, you know, and knocked himself you know, completely, I mean, out of the playoff picture. But, um, you know, you got to feel bad for Todd Gillen, who led all those laps and, you know, got shuffled back, you know, on that last restart, you know, with door sport. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like Todd said, there was nothing he could do. You know, he was the dominant, he was the dominant truck. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Ben Rhodes really had nothing for him. But, but and then you look at Matt Crafton, who was just – stuck in there you know what and god he got one of his best um vegas finishes it was it was a it was a crazy i'll tell you it's a crazy race it was a real crazy race it was a crazy race and uh uh you know several uh, there was uh, quite a few accidents people involved in accidents um including haley Deegan was involved keith mcgee was too slow so he was out uh, Nemechek actually finished running even though he had issues all night long. Uh, Tyler Ankrum, Chandler Smith, and Sheldon Creed all involved in accidents. So, uh, yeah, very disappointing for those guys. Uh, they've got Talladega uh, that'll be up next, and uh, that's going to be that's going to be interesting because uh, Talladega is. Uh, one of those races that uh, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, but as you mentioned, this was one of those races that a lot of things that we didn't expect to happen. And they're talking even last, even, <clears throat> even about the, um, uh, you know, about the, you know, Sheldon Creed. Remember Sheldon has said, you know, that he's he's the favorite. Mm-hmm. You know that you know you know after last week's win, you know he said, yeah, he goes, I'm gonna bed. And this week he just really put himself, he put himself out of you know out of the driver's seat, you know with that wreck. Yep. But I mean, you know, um, I don't think John Hummer Nemechek is the favorite anymore. It's hard to, I mean, I don't know. It's it's, it's hard because uh, he um, 
you know, he had that issue that they still couldn't figure a mechanical issue, you know, where he had to keep coming mm-hmm. in, you know, he was slowed down. But, you know, I didn't understand why, why he, I think he should have been penalized because twice when his, instead of going down to the apron, he tried to come back out of the track again. And, and, and I think mm. that has to do something with him trying to, this was before Chandler Smith had the wreck. And I, and I think it had something to do with him trying to, um, you know, you know, hopefully pull a caution or whatever, you know, to help his teammate. <clears throat> but I think NASCAR should have penalized him because the one time he did go down below the apron and he stopped and then his truck started and then he put it back on top of the apron, on top of the white line, back on the track, and then he died again. And I, I, and I think NASCAR should, I know a lot of fans probably didn't see it or think anything, but I, I, I think NASCAR should have um, should have penalized them a lap or two laps for, you know, for, um, you know, just like they, just like they penalized Hosovar for causing his own spin, you know, they, mm-hmm. they held Hosovar back a lap, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. they should have held, um, I think they should have held John Hunter Nemechek back a lap too when his when his truck well, died and and when you don't have no power, they tell you go below the white line and he and he stayed on the track, but. Yeah, uh, I'm sure NASCAR is going to be watching those kind of things. Uh, But, you know, there's a lot going on in this race. Uh, We'll have to see what they do in the future. But let's uh, talk about how the points got shook up this weekend. Okay, now the the points, we got um, Ben Rhodes leading the points. Um, John Hunter, Nemechek in second, Stuart Friesen in third. Matt Crafton in fourth, and Sheldon Creed round out the top five. And then um, there's only eight eight drivers in there. That's right. There's only eight drivers in the in the in the uh, mm-hmm. in the house right now. And then then we go to Carson Hosovar, sixth, Zane Smith seventh, and Chandler Smith eighth. Basically, the yeah, the bottom the bottom four. Yeah. So um, yeah. So so base so basically the bottom eight, the top eight are, are the ones that are in the are the ones fighting for the uh, for the next um, playoff spot. That's true. And uh, let me look at the schedule here because uh, because that's gonna that's gonna make a huge difference here for the truck series. Um. Well, I believe I, I, they're I, on the same schedule with everybody else, but it could be. Let me just double with the check. Exception it. of the Roval. Yeah, I think with the, the next race the is at Talladega, October the second, yeah. and then they're going to end up at the Roval. Uh, and at the Roval, let me just double check this. No, they actually don't race again. Their elimination race isn't until October thirtieth at Martinsville Speedway. So they'll yes. race at Talladega this weekend, and then Martinsville will be their elimination race on October the 30th. So that's what I wanted to just confirm. Uh, so, And that's when um, they will decide who their final four drivers are going to be. So right now the drivers that are on the bottom, uh, and as you mentioned, one of those drivers is Sheldon Creed. Uh, those guys are vulnerable. 
because uh, Sheldon Creek, Carson Josephar, Sane Smith, and Chandler Smith are all on the bottom four. The top four are Ben Rhodes, John Hunter Nemechek, and Stuart Friesen, along with Matt Crafton. And what's keeping John Hunter Nemechek up in the top two right now are his 50 playoff points. He's just six points behind uh, Ben Rhodes, but he, and that's because he has those five wins. But uh, he could be vulnerable, too, because he has not been racing uh, up to the same caliber that he was earlier in the season. So basically where it sits is that, <clears throat> realistically speaking, Chandler Smith and Zane Smith, they're in, they're in a, they're in a uh, they have to win position. They're not in a position mm-hmm. where they can, they're going to make it on points. Uh, Carson Hosevar you know, in that same category. Yeah, and Carson Hosevar too. Yeah, they're, they're in the position. And, and Carson Hosevar is looking pretty good there for a while. You know, he was up there, you know, on, you know above the cut line. You know, and then he he got that he got that flat, and then he he caused his own he was his own he was his own worst enemy when he when he um when he spun himself on the track he should he should just come in and pit in and change tires and went back out and he'd be golden right now. Mm-hmm. Exactly but right. He decided, so he decided he wanted to pull a you know thinking NASCAR isn't going to notice it, but. NASCAR, they're looking at all that, especially for the playoff players. Exactly. Exactly. I think NASCAR has to start taking a closer look at that stuff and uh, making sure that we're we're not uh, getting into a new era of shenanigans, if you will, uh, with these playoffs. Uh, we talked about it on Hot Topics as well uh, with Cowbush Motorsports playing some games. Uh, but hopefully... Uh, we'll have to see what happens. It hasn't really paid off for them in the long run here. So I think these drivers really need to second-guess themselves with playing these games because it's hurting them more than it's helping them. Exactly, it is. So uh, anyway, uh, John Hunter Nemechek has the 50 playoff points, which are really helping him right now. Uh, the next highest in playoff points is Sheldon Creed, but right now he's in that uh, bottom four, uh, so he's going to have to really race smart uh, coming up here in this these next couple of races. Uh, and then the other driver with a lot of playoff points is Ben Rhodes. He has 19 playoff points, uh, and uh, Ben Rhodes has to – really be smart in these upcoming races as well and see if he can hold on to that uh, top spot. Yeah, it's going to be interesting um, with uh, with a um, uh, Talladega coming up. (laughs) Yeah, Talladega, I've got a feeling, is going to shake up the points even more. Uh, when we go to Talladega. So, uh, and then Martinsville is a short track. A lot can happen on the short track as well. So uh, we've definitely got to keep an eye on these guys. Um, okay, let's uh, go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series. So uh, their next race is also going to be at Talladega Super Speedway on Saturday. October the 2nd, uh, the Sparks 300 will be at 4.30 p.m. 
but uh, what we really want to talk about here is the Asco Uniforms 302 that took place this last Saturday night at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Josh Berry steals the spotlight in Las Vegas, and Junior Motorsports this time sweeps the podium. Uh, Josh Berry seized the opportunity and drove away from the competition Saturday night at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. He was tabbed to substitute for the injured Junior Motorsports driver Michael Annette, and the Tennessee late model champion Barry earned his second win in the Xfinity Series season, claiming an impressive 4.396 second victory in the playoff opener. Uh, he again, he was filling in for Michael Annette in the number one. He won the Alco Uniforms 302 at Las Vegas. The win is his second of the season, and his second of the 27-race Xfinity Series career. Junior Motorsports driver Justin Algauer finished second, followed by another junior motorsports driver, Noah Gregson, finishing in third, making it a clean sweep of the podium for Junior Motorsports. Defending champion Austin Sendrick finished in fourth place, and Daniel Hemrick rounds out the top five. The next five drivers are Brandon Jones, who overcame a pit road penalty to finish sixth. Then it was A.J. Allmendinger, Ty Dillon, Justin Haley, and Harrison Burton rounding out the top ten. Playoff drivers Jeff Burton, Jeremy Clements, Riley Earps were all caught up in a lap 30 incident on a restart, and all three drivers failed to finish the race. Allmendinger picked up his series-high 10th stage win of the season by winning the opening stage, while Algauer earned a playoff point for winning the second stage. There were 13 lead changes among seven drivers and six cautions for two yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 123.509 miles per hour. Josh Berry, uh, again, won his second victory in 28 Xfinity Series starts and his second victory and the 11th top 10 finish this year. This is the first victory and second top 10 finish in three races at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Justin Algauer posted his 12th top 10 finish in 16 races at Las Vegas and his 18th top 10 finish this year. Noah Gregson posted his sixth top 10 finish in seven races at Las Vegas. And Josh Berry First was the highest finishing rookie of the race. So uh, your thoughts about the finishing order here at Las Vegas. So, Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a really different, um, <laughs> really different one. So once Riley Herbst and, and all them went out. Um, but, man, that went by Josh Berry, boy. I'll tell you, he, he really put on a, a clinic at the end. And, um you know, uh, Noah and uh, and Justin, no, nobody had nothing. They had nothing for him at the end of the race. I mean, he was in his own his own little world. You know what? And I thought it was pretty cool that instead of doing a burnout, he said he was going to save the car for the next race. You know, so he didn't do a burnout. He just casually went up, and I don't even, I, I don't even think he got the checkered flag. I think he even left the checkered flag at the flag stamp. He was so excited oh, wow. about the win. Exactly. I, I never seen exactly. him. I was, I was waiting for him to go up there, and I never, and I never seen him go up. 
There were several drivers that did have accidents. Uh, C.J. McLaughlin actually had an overheating issue. Carson Ware had an electrical issue. Riley Earp, Sam Mayer, Dylan Lupton, Jeb Burton, J.J. Yaley, Alex LeBay, uh, Jeremy Clements, and Joe Graff, Jr., all drivers taken out by accidents early in the race. Uh, So that was very, very disappointing uh, to see that happen. Uh, Riley Earps has had some really good runs here lately. Uh, And am I right, Jay, Sal, that uh, Las Vegas is his home track? Yes. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, as far as, yeah, yeah, it's his home track. Him and, um, actually him and Noah, they don't live too far uh they don't they, they don't really look too far away from each other where they you know where their houses are up in the up in yeah, the up in so, the ridge so yeah they're they're pretty close I'm to sure each other that, but yeah i'm sure that was disappointing for riley oh yeah it was it had it it, it was it was it was devastating on his part you know he wants so bad you know to make it in and you know ho- hopefully you know at least have a shot at the you know championship but um and and for all the all the problems Stuart Haas Racing has been having this year, you know, and he's 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 had his share of issues too, you know what I mean? You know, he still had a he can still walk away, you know, with the you know saying he had a good season. But you I mean you never know what can happen in, in Talladega too. He can come up with that win and get that magic ticket into the next into the next round. Yep, we'll have to see what happens. I, I he has been doing a lot better and I think he is knocking on the door there. Okay, so any other thoughts about the playoff drivers? Uh, Myatt Snyder finished 15th as a playoff driver. Uh, and then we talked about the other ones. Uh, uh, Riley Earps and Jeb Burton caught up in that accident. Everybody else finished in the top 10. Yeah, so it's it's going to be like it, like we talked about. Talladega is going to be a, you know, it's going to be a, a Gonna be a big race, you know, coming up, you know, and see how they, um, you know, see how all the drivers respond, you know, and and see where they see where all this, you know, plays out after they get out of there. And it's always unpredictable at Talladega, so anything can happen. And then, of course, Martinsville is a short track where a lot of things can happen as well. Let's go ahead and cover the uh, points report here. Okay, we had a we did have a shakeup in the points. Austin Sidrick <clears throat> took over the lead from from AJ Almendinger, who's sitting second in points. Um, third is Justin Algeyer. Fourth is Noah Gregson. Fifth is Daniel Hamrick. And running out the top six is Justin Haley, since we only have twelve drivers that are racing for the to make it into the next round. And then That's from true. there, then we go. To, and then from there, then we go seventh is Harrison Burton, eighth is Brandon Jones, ninth is Myatt Snyder, tenth is tenth is Jeb Burton, eleventh is Riley Herbst, and Jeremy Clements is at the bottom of the um, at the bottom of the heat there. Now the next two races, Talladega and then the Charlotte Roval, uh, will end the round here the first round for the Xfinity Series. And as we mentioned, those drivers that are on the bottom four right now, Myatt Snyder, Jeff Burton, Riley Earps, and Jeremy Clements, uh, they're all in a must-win 
type of a situation, I think, Jay, or Sal. Oh, yes. Yeah, they are. They're, um, they are definitely in a, <clears throat> in a Muslim situation. Uh, they're, 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 there are too many. I mean, actually, <laughs> you know, when you look, gosh, I mean, when you look at the points, I mean, it's just amazing how many, you know, just a separation from, you know, from from that spot, yeah. really from the 10th, 11th, and 12th spot. It's just, <clears throat> it's just really, um, it's really big. It is really big. And and you've got drivers like Ty Gibson, 13th, who had three wins this year. Josh Berry, who's currently 17th, had two wins. Uh, but, that you know, Josh Berry racing only 20 of the 27 races so far this year. Ty Gibbs racing only 15 of the 27 races um, and uh, not able to be in these playoffs, but uh, definitely having an, an impact with Josh Berry winning this weekend. Uh, the top two drivers have the most playoff points with 44 for Austin Sindrick, 45 for A.J. Allmendinger. That's what's keeping them up in that spot. Um, Justin Algauer has been third most at 21 points. And then Noah Gregson, Daniel Hemrick, and Justin Haley all have 17, 14, and 15 playoff points. The only drivers with double-digit uh, playoff points. Uh, but Talladega, I think, is going to be interesting because just about anybody can win there. Uh, what are the chances that one of these bottom four can come up with the victory? You know, it, it's any, anything is possible. Um, I, I mean, well, my side already has one one win. So does Jeb Burton, but mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just going to. You got to remember, Riley Herbst—he's—he's he's coming to this race with no, um, with no teammates. Mm-hmm. That so makes he, it harder you know, for be, sure. It makes it harder for him because he's going to have to—he's going to have to fight against the um, RCR cars and also the the Joe Gibbs cars, you know, and the and the um, college racing cars, you know, who are all going to have teammates. So what happens if, if Riley gets up there leading the race, you know, is he going to have a, somebody, you know, help him or, you know, or, you know, you know, what's going to happen when he, you know, if, if he gets up there right. and challenging for the win, you know, that, you know, that, that's going to be the big, um, you know, that's going to, that's always a game changer here at, uh, at the, at these, at these play tracks, you know, they talk about, you know, having a, you know, a teammate, you know, or a partner, you know, to, you know, to give you that push that you need. So he's really going to have to, hope, you know, that, you know, that somebody, you know, will take him under his wing, you know, if he does happen to get up into that position. <clears throat> and, then the Charlotte Roble, and then the Charlotte Roble, you've got Austin Sindrick and A.J. Allmendinger. Both of those guys are good road course racers. So that's going to be a battle yeah. right there, too. Yeah, that, that that's true. You know, it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting these next two races for Riley. He's got to, he really has his hands full, you know, going, going into these last, you know, couple races. He's going to have to have a really good game plan and, uh, you know, and, uh, and more than that, he's going to have to have a fast, fast car. That is very true. Uh, I look for this to be a very competitive uh, race in the Xfinity series. 
for for all of these drivers, all of these playoff drivers, because at the end of the Roval at Charlotte, it's, they're going to eliminate four of these drivers. I think Talladega is probably going to shake things up a little bit. Uh, we've got four drivers that are at the bottom right now. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if one of those four come up with a victory at, at uh, Talladega. Uh, but anything can and usually does happen at that track. Now, uh, some news in the Xfinity Series. NASCAR announced uh, that they're looking at the possibility of adding Portland International Raceway to the 2022 Xfinity Series schedule. Have you seen that, Jay, Sal? Yes. Yeah, I've seen that. And then also um, <clears throat> also that um, Daniel Hemmerich is going to be going to college racing next year, leaving RCR yes. to drive for college yes. full-time. Uh, yeah, I thought that was really great news as well. Uh, so, you know, we've got a lot to look forward to in the 2022 schedule for here in the Xfinity Series. Uh, it sounds like uh, we should hear about their schedule uh, in the next week or two. And uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting if uh, they do put Portland on the Xfinity Series schedule. I think that's going to be big. Yeah, because then that'll be another another road course that 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 they add to the schedule. Absolutely. Since, um, okay. Uh, Portland's a uh, a um, road course. It is, and uh, we saw the Xfinity, the uh, not Xfinity, but the uh, Arkham and Art Series Arca West. race yeah. at Portland, the Arca West. So uh, now we're going to get a chance to see uh, possibly the Xfinity Series race there, and uh, I think that's exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. Okay, we're a few minutes ahead of our schedule here, but that's okay. We're going to go ahead and get into the NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, Their next race, again, is at Talladega Super Speedway. The Yellowwood 500 will take place on Sunday, October the 3rd, and again, we'll talk more about that race on our Thursday night show. For now, we're going to get into the South Point 400 that took place Sunday, September the 26th at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Denny Hamlin punches his ticket into the round of eight with a win at Las Vegas, crossing the finish line to claim the South Point 400 trophy. Denny Hamlin screamed into his team radio, Viva Las Vegas, And indeed, it was that kind of night for the perennial championship contender who led a race best 137 of 267 laps to earn his first Las Vegas victory in 20 starts and take an automatic bid into the next round of the playoffs. The 40-year-old Virginian and Ray edged out the reigning NASCAR Cup Series champion Chase Elliott by .442 seconds. Elliott cut into Hamlin's lead on every one of the closing 10 laps, taking full advantage of the traffic, but was ultimately unable to catch Hamlin's number 11 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. Uh, Hamlin won the Cup Series race at Las Vegas. Again, it was his second win of the year his first win at Las Vegas, and the 46th 
career win. Elliott finished second, followed by Kyle Busch. Then it was Martin Truex Jr. and Ryan Blaney, followed by Tyler Reddick, Brad Keselowski, Kurt Busch, and uh, Kevin Harvick, along with the pole setter Kyle Larson, to round out the top 10. Hamlin led 137 of 263 laps. He retook the lead with 37 laps left following a green flag pit stops and then went on to win uh, by a very close margin. The win locks Hamlin into the round of eight. Stage one was won by Kyle Larson. Stage two by Denny Hamlin. There were 21 lead changes among 10 drivers, four cautions for 21 yellow flags laps yellow flag laps, and the average speed of the race was 144.643 miles per hour. Uh, again, it was Hamlin's 46th victory in 573 Cup Series races, his second victory in 21st top 10 finish of 21, and his first victory in 10th top 10 finish in 21 races at Las Vegas. Chase Elliott posted his fourth top 10 finish in 11 races in Vegas and his 18th top 10 finish this year. Kyle Busch posted his 12th top 10 finish in 22 races in Las Vegas. And Chase Briscoe, who finished 14th, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. So your thoughts about the race results here in Las Vegas for the Cup Series? Yeah, it was uh it was a it was a um gosh, before the sun came down, when the sun was still out, Kyle Larson looked like he was gonna be the driver to beat. <clears throat> and then um, you know, things got shaken up, you know, as the you know, stages started ending, you know, and the and the weather changed, but um for a while there it looked like um uh Kyle Larson was gonna win it. And even Tyler Reddick, yeah. he, boy, he really put on a valiant effort too there for a while too. Until the last yeah. minute, until the last pit stop, you know when he, you know I I think I think he waited a little bit too late. I think he should have pitted earlier than Hamlin. He would have had the fresher tires, and I think he would have been able to keep his track position a little bit better. But um, I think yeah, that Kyle Larson, I think that piss. I think Kyle Larson had a bad pit strategy too. Uh, his pit strategy really put him off the uh, cycle and put him back in the pack instead of up at the front. Yeah, because it knocked him all the way back to like 15. And mm-hmm. um, but I, I I think if Tyler Reddick pitted three or four or five laps earlier than Hamlin, you know he might have had a better shot at uh you know, and then Chase just you know he made it was a valiant effort by Chase Elliott you know to try and catch him, but you know there just there just wasn't wasn't enough laps left to catch him. He needed he needed five more laps, and I think he would have got him. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, there are only a couple of cars that didn't finish the race. Joey Gates had a really uh, bad hit uh, very early in the race, uh, or relatively early in the race. He ended up having to go to the infield care center. They sent him to the local hospital for further evaluation, and then he uh, left there to be evaluated at a hospital in Charlotte. Uh, so I'm glad uh, that he's getting the care that he needs. Uh, but J.J. Yaley uh, ended up in 38th due to handling issues that he was having with his car. Everybody else 
36 cars ended up finishing the all all uh, 260. Uh, well, most of the laps of this race. So that was pretty cool. All of them were running at the end of the race. Yeah, it was a it was a you know not not the most exciting race. You know, um, of course, you know, you know, pit strategy, you know, you know, came in big, you know, but um, I like the way they ran it. You know, they ran it during the day, then finished off at night. You know, instead of just running, you know, getting a one o'clock start and getting it done, you know, before the before the sun went down, because you know it made the crew chiefs, you know, have to work a little bit harder. You know, as far as what their setups they're going to, you know, use for the night, you know, and changes and stuff like that. So. Yeah, playoff drivers who finished outside the top ten were Joey Logano, William Byron, Alex Bowman, and Christopher Bell. Christopher Bell finishing twenty fourth, <laughs> Bowman in twenty second, William Byron in eighteenth, and uh, Joey Logano actually finished just outside the top ten in eleventh place. So those are going to be the bottom four, I believe, right? In the point standing. Yeah, you know. And, and actually, this was this was supposed to be one of um, one of Joy Logano's um, stronger tracks, you know, yes, coming in, and 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 this was an unpredictable for for Chase Elliott. They said his um, his uh, he doesn't have the best finishes here, and he has so much issues over here at this track. But yet, you know, he you know he managed to pull off you know that that um, uh, second place finish. Yes. Uh, actually, uh, Joe Logano had enough uh, playoff points to keep him in the top eight. It's Kevin Harvick that's below the cut line now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin Harvick and now and now it's Bowman. Just he just continued to have his. William Byron had an, an up and down day. Also had an up and down mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. At, uh, at, at Vegas. That's- Let's go ahead and cover the rest of the point standings. So we still got Kyle Larson leading the points. Um, Danny Hamlin in second. Kyle Busch in third. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. in fourth. Ryan Blaney in fifth. And Chase Elliott round out the top six of the of the twelve that are still um, that are still fighting for that. Uh, actually. Danny Hamlin's already in, so he's not even one of the drivers that has to worry about, you know, the Roval or the um, or uh, Talladega coming up. Mm-hmm. Yep, he's and already finished his ticket. Just from there, we go down to Joey Logano. Eighth is Brad Keselowski. Ninth is William Byron. Tenth is Kevin Harvick. Eleventh is Alex Bowman, and twelfth is uh, Christopher Bell at the bottom of the. Uh, at the bottom of the food chain there. Yeah, I don't think anybody would have predicted Kevin Harvick being in jeopardy of not making it into the next round. Uh, he has zero wins on the season, only two playoff points uh, that are holding him in 10th place. Uh, he's going to need a win in one of these next two races, either Talladega or the Charlotte Roval. Yes, and and uh, and you know Brad Brad spoke a little bit about it too. But you know Brad's Brad's a pretty good driver when it comes to uh, Talladega, you know. So That's you know true. Brad could you know have a good um, you know he he could have a good race at um uh, you know coming up at um at, at Talladega next week. 
Yeah, it is going to be interesting because when you look at the top 12 drivers, any one of those 12 drivers uh, could end up winning at Talladega. It tends to be a Ford track, so I would definitely look at the Ford cars uh, going into Talladega this weekend. Yes, and um, um, even even Kevin Harvick, you know, could have a, a breakout, you know, Mm-hmm. You know, a breakout race, you know, and, and pick up a win. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's going to be, uh, this race is going to be, a, it's going to be hard to pick a winner. It's just going to be, it's going to be one of those toss-up races, um, you know. It is. It is going to be one of those toss-up races. Their next two races are uh, Talladega. After Talladega, it's the Charlotte Roval. So you got to look at the drivers that are good on the road courses. And nobody's better lately than Chase Elliott. Exactly. So this this this, this could be Chase's. Um, the role could could be. I'm sure he has that circled on his calendar. You know, it's just, you know if something goes bad at Talladega. You know what? I you know always have um, uh, you know the the role to look forward to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kyle Larson has an amazing 60 playoff points with his six wins and 15 stage victories. Uh, Denny Hamlin uh, has half that a number with 30 playoff points, 10 stage wins, and two race wins. Uh, Those guys are far and away above everybody else, except for Martin Truex Jr., who actually has the four race wins and five stage wins for 29 playoff. Ryan Blaney is at 24 playoff points, Kyle Busch at 22. Uh, those playoff points are keeping those guys up in that top uh, top group of drivers, though. Oh, yeah. that I mean, that 60 playoff points, that, that is, that, that's amazing. I mean, that's almost unheard of, you know, but he racked them up, you know, when he's picking up his wins and, you know, that's what, um, you know, like you said, you know, that, that, that's what's um, keeping them alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's, been a, it's been an interesting year, uh, and uh, we'll have to see what happens in these upcoming races uh, at uh, Talladega and the Charlotte Roval. Um, so they will pair down. They're at 12. They'll pair down to eight. And then the next uh, round is going to be interesting. Uh, we've got the schedule for the um, uh, Cup Series. Let me see if I can get the uh, Cup Series schedule here. Uh, the next round for the Cup Series, I want to kind of cover those races here real quick. For the round of eight, they're going to be racing at Texas Motor Speedway October 17th. Kansas Speedway on the 24th, and then Martinsville, that's going to be the elimination race for the uh, Cup Series as well as the Truck Series. And if I look at the Xfinity Series in their next round, let me see what's going to happen there. Because the Robo, they'll, they'll cut down their drivers Yeah, it's the same thing. Uh, so all three series will have their elimination um, determine who their final four drivers are. 
at Martinsville Speedway. So the Xfinity Series also, Texas, Kansas, and then Martinsville for the round of eight. Uh, So keep that in mind for this next round. Uh, But they've got to get through Talladega and the Charlotte Roval next. Exactly. And uh, I'll tell you, it's going to be – and then when they get to uh, Phoenix, they they have no points. (laughs) Whoever the highest finisher is going to be a champion. So all all those playoff points that Kyle Larson, you know, um, racked up, you know, to to make it into the – you know, if he makes it into the final four – you know, all, all those points, of, they're all going to disappear, and it's just going to be whoever the highest finisher is going to be our champion. Absolutely. So, uh, Sal, we're, we're very happy that you're able to be on the show here with us tonight. Uh, I know you're recovering from COVID-19. Um, are, are you able to get out uh, to the track at this point, or is that even possible? No. Are you in quarantine? No. No, no, I'm not in quarantine anymore. I'm out of quarantine. But my next race won't be until the 23rd, which will be the uh, SRL race at um, at, at Kern County Raceway, which will be the championship race. So oh, I'm, I'm taking off. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking off the rest of the the rest of the the rest of the weeks until that until that race comes up on the 23rd. Oh, okay, and then you'll be back at work then. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, I, I should be back before then, back to work. Oh, okay. Well, we're, again, we're so happy that uh, uh, you had your vaccinations and that uh, you, you uh, unfortunately got COVID-19, but uh, you've been able to recover and get back on track here. Yeah, it feels good to, to, start, to start to feel good. I mean, I, I'm still... I'm still not there, but, you know, I'm getting there. Yes. Uh, Well, thank you for being here. We always uh, appreciate having you on the show. And we'll look forward to next Monday night uh, when we can review (laughs) uh, the races at Talladega on uh, next Monday night starting at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. Okay. Everybody have a good evening. Have a good week. And um, we'll talk to We'll talk to you guys next week. Okay, Sal. Uh, Take care, and we'll talk to you next Monday. Okay. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. Okay, we're coming up at uh, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and that means that uh, we're getting ready here to start our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And I believe joining me for now is Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. It is me for now. I, I guess I, I'm to take that that I'm the only person with you for now. So a big <laughs> hello to everybody. Uh, well, that is true. You're the only one here for now. I know Jay said he may come on a little bit later. Uh, Andy was a TBD. I think he is uh, working but on his way home and hoping to make it uh, before we finish out our Hot Topic Sound Off here tonight. Uh, since you're the only one here, Jay, or I'm sorry, Mike, uh, I'm going to have you kick us off with the first Hot Topic. Uh, hopefully Jay will come on before we finish that discussion and we can get his thoughts about it. 
Well, Jay can't be too far away. I'm bantering back and forth with him right now in our fantasy picks. Apparently, uh, my selection of Clyde William Elliott, second of his name, uh, he said that was more than one driver selected, which I don't think is valid. But uh, suffice it to say, Jay shouldn't be too far behind. As far as kicking off the hot topics, uh, I'm going to open with some good news to follow up on some bad news from yesterday. The bad news, if you'd missed it yesterday on lap 92, Joey Gase in his number 15 Rick Ware Racing Chevrolet had the left rear wheel come off of his car, and he hit the wall extremely hard in turn one and two yesterday afternoon. Um, they said during the broadcast he had been transported to a local hospital for further evaluation. Uh, they had, the team announced today that he has been released from the hospital. He's going to go back to North Carolina uh, for some follow-up stuff in Charlotte, but it sounds like Joey Gase is, if he's not completely back uh, to 100%, he's at least well along the road to recovery. Some great news here in the Joey Gase is out of the hospital and uh, seems to be doing just fine. Yeah, that, there, I guess there was a parts failure uh, on his car. He totally lost that wheel. And uh, while racing at the speeds that these guys race, that is never a good situation. And uh, we're thankful that Joey Gase is uh, doing much better. Jay is here now, so welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. What's up, Mike? Hello, Jay. (laughs) Okay, we're talking about Joey Gase, uh, Jay. So any thoughts there on Joey Gase? Uh, good Good to hear that he is doing better. Uh, hopefully there are no issues and, and there is no recovery time. Uh, concern there a little bit. You mentioned the part failure of what did happen, as that was a, a horrific wreck. Uh, one, not that we haven't seen some bad ones here recently, but especially when it comes to a parts failure like that, uh, that it gets looked into to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, knowing that it was a parts failure. Uh, and having a wheel come off the car at those speeds is extremely dangerous. Uh, it's, he's just lucky that it didn't involve other cars on the track and um, uh, that more people were not hurt. We're, we're very thankful for that. Uh, but I hope that his organization takes the time uh, to, to really explore what did happen there uh, so that that never happens again. Um, that was a very bad parts failure uh, and uh, very unfortunate for Joy Gase. Uh, I'm sure he's going to be feeling uh, a little sore for quite some time, and I hope that his injuries uh, uh, will allow him to be back on the track uh, at Talladega uh, where they'll be going even faster. Uh, Mike, what, what are your thoughts there? Well, this is an interesting thing. You know, normally, and they talked about this during the broadcast, if a wheel comes off of a car, it's a four-race suspension for a crew chief and for the tire changer uh, that was in charge of putting that tire on the car. But in this case, it seems like the tire was properly mounted onto the hub of the race car. It was the hub itself, the part that the tire attaches to on the car that's not supposed to come off. That's what fell apart. And that's what's really concerning to me. We all know Rick Ware Racing is – to put it diplomatically, an underfunded race team. But, guys, if you're going to build them slow, at least build them safe. 
we saw this a couple times last year with Bubba Wallace in the 43 car where he was talking about the team couldn't afford to put good parts on the car and parts failures were costing them uh, even the mediocre finishing positions that they could have. So I get that there's a lot of pressure on these teams to build fast race cars and get them to the racetrack and the schedule is frantic, especially the cross-country trip to go all the way out to Las Vegas. But this really highlights the necessity where um, pushing the boundary a little bit too far on parts, especially critical safety parts like wheel hubs, can have devastating consequences. And we're all fortunate that Joey Gase didn't get hurt worse because of this. So hopefully this causes a lot of teams, especially the underfunded teams that tend to reuse parts more than the top teams do, hopefully it causes them to go and take a little bit look a little bit closer at some of these parts and make sure that if they're reusing parts from previous races, that those parts are in good mechanical shape to be able to hold up for another race. Definitely. Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, I don't know what the procedure is on that of uh, the safety of parts being used. Uh, Like Mike said, either reusing parts, using older parts, um, maybe some older parts on the newer car. So that is something that maybe needs to be looked at of some type of evaluation there of not using uh, certain parts older than a certain age or some other type of uh, inspection Uh, not necessarily at the track, but uh, approval from NASCAR on that. Uh, The other thing, though, overall, do look at it, even with that happening and the wreck that happened, the safety of the car itself, especially for the driver cockpit. I know this is one, another one I don't know that we have up on Hot Topics yet um, when we talk about the next-gen car. NASCAR has done a great job of improving that and, and making sure the drivers are safe. Yes, that is true, Uh, but obviously something did go wrong here, and uh, I do think that they need to review that. If you're going to use spare parts, uh, you've got to make sure that those spare parts are reinforced uh, so that things like this don't happen, and uh, I think that it is worthy of them taking the time to review this to see what could have been done to avoid this from happening. Um, so I, I hope that they do their due diligence on that and uh, uh, make sure that if they're going to use those fair parts, that they are reinforced uh, to avoid these types of accidents. Mike, your final thoughts? Well, they, like you said, NASCAR has done a great job of making the cars safer. Uh, but you can only, even if you have the driver completely immobilized in there, you can't immobilize internal organs. They, you know, they're going to shift when you have an impact that hard. And if they didn't show mm-hmm. it very well on TV because they didn't have very good camera angles, but Getty Images released a few pictures, still pictures today, of the Joey Gase wreck. And that car had all four wheels off the ground as high, at least as the top of the safer barrier, at least not, uh, if not a little bit higher than the safer barrier. So a good four feet off of the ground was this car just from the impact of hitting that wall that hard. And the scary part is it was very reminiscent of the Dan Weldon crash where Dan Weldon was killed at Las Vegas a few years ago by having a failure in the left rear spinning the car around 270 degrees and hitting the wall extremely hard, very similar to the way Joey Gase did. Um, so is it a problem with track design? We've had two wrecks that look very similar. Fortunately, Joey wasn't hurt worse. I don't know that it is or not. I'm not an engineer or don't have any kind of expertise to say for sure that it was. But, you know, that kind of an impact, having the car get airborne from a, a single impact like that is concerning 
And hopefully they're looking at not just the individual parts on the race car, but some of the other factors that cause that 15 car to get airborne with how hard he hit that wall, whether it's the angle of the safer barrier, how it interacts with the track or something like that. If that's also something that could be looked at to prevent the car from getting airborne or maybe change the angle that the car rebounds off of that safer barrier so it doesn't impart as much force to the driver. I think those are some important things to look at as we continue to move forward to try and make these cars safer for everybody. Well said, Mike. Okay, so uh, let's go on to the next top topic. Jay, we'll go ahead and start with you. Well, we might have to split this one up into two different parts as I see it, uh, but Colleg Racing has announced that Daniel Ham- uh, Daniel Hemrick sorry, will be their driver next year for their Xfinity Series team moving over from Joe Gibbs Racing. Okay, so Jay kind of alluded to this being two parts. Well, it's two parts for me. First part, not a surprise. The not a surprise part is that Daniel Hemrick is not going to be back at Joe Gibbs Racing next year. He's done okay in the car, but you look at how the other cars at JGR have run, especially the uh, the uh, 54 car with a slew of drivers in there, and Hemrick has been okay at best, but really has – I would say he's lived up to his potential, but his potential has reached its limit. And it wasn't really a surprise for him to, uh, to be shown the door from Joe Gibbs Racing. The surprise for me was that he was picked up by Colleague and, and was given another opportunity in some fairly top-tier equipment in the Xfinity Series, even though I mean, we're, we're beating the same drum we beat almost every week when we talk about the guy. Daniel Hemrick has yet to get to victory lane, and as the season has progressed, it almost feels like he's getting further and further away from it. He was challenging for wins more frequently towards the beginning of the year, and he tends to run up front in the first half or so of the races right now, but then it seems to fade as the, as the race progresses. So I'm not sure what the deal is with that 18 car, whether they've shifted resources somewhere else, knowing Hemrick's not going to be back next year, but he definitely didn't, he wasn't producing the momentum that I thought was going to springboard him into another top tier ride. So I am surprised to see him in a colleague car next year. Um, how he does there. It's tough to say. I don't think colleague cars are as good as Joe Gibb racing cars, at least not on most tracks. You put him on a speedway Daytona Talladega Maybe he's going to be like uh, Justin Haley, where he wins a couple speedway races and everybody thinks he's something special. I, I don't know. But to, to be fair, I don't have a whole lot of faith in Daniel Hemrick lighting the world on fire at Colleague next year. Okay. Um, I think it's uh, probably a good move for Daniel Hemrick. Um We've talked about Daniel Hemrick a few times. I like Daniel Hemrick a lot. He's a really stand-up guy. Uh, and a really good person. Uh, he races consistently. He races clean. And, uh, and I like that about Daniel Hemrick. I have no qualms about that. But Daniel Hemrick uh, has not won. I am hoping that he is able to get a win with Colleague Racing, but I have the same concerns uh, that Mike brought up. Colleague Racing is starting a new cup team next year. Their resources are going to be splintered a bit, and uh, I think that that could hurt their Xfinity Series program. And I say could. Uh, Colleague Racing has done really, really well for a new startup team in the Xfinity Series, and um, I'm hoping that they've got everything in place to do really well in cup without endangering their Xfinity Series program. Uh, and, and 
again, I, I say that with my fingers crossed. Uh, I have faith in college racing. I think they've done a good job as a startup team. Uh, I'm just concerned about the splintering of their resources between Xfinity and Cup. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, Mike said he doesn't have a lot of faith in him, but he doesn't have faith that Noah Gregson can win races either. So we'll take that with a little bit of salt and some uh, voodoo Mountain Dew. I think (laughs) here that the key factor is that Hemrick, and I know he gets compared to Matt DiBenedetto, good driver, shows what they can do in top equipment, hasn't gotten a win. But I also don't think that a team has set themselves up to build an organization around the driver in this case, Daniel Hemrick. And I think that's what comes into play here is college racing is looking long-term down the road of the future. We know that Justin Haley is running a full-time ride next year at the Cup Series. They're bringing Daniel Hemrick into the Xfinity Series. The other team at the Cup level is going to be a part-time. Give Daniel Hemrick some starts. A.J. Allmendinger, I'm sure, is going to get a few. Uh, I think... Almendinger has made the case if they asked him to, he would, but going back full-time cup isn't necessarily what drives him. He, he wants to work for college racing, and I think that's the key is that they are building for the future. Daniel Hemrick hasn't been with the same team for more than, I think, two years before getting bounced around, and I just think that they, they see the talent there and have the confidence that if they can get him in there and set the team up around him, build for the future, and he may possibly be their second cup driver in the years to come. And I think that's a, a great thing because I do think Daniel Hemrick has the talent and should at least have that opportunity. Now, the other half to this equation is Joe Gibbs racing. We talked about this, uh, I think almost maybe two months ago already, what Joe Gibbs racing was going to do if they were going to downsize what they were going to do. And I'm not saying it in a bad way of rats abandoning a sinking ship, but Harrison Burton is gone. Daniel Hemrick is now gone. They know what's coming. Ty Gibbs is obviously coming. They haven't announced it yet, but it's coming. What they do with a third or maybe fourth team, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. We know Kyle Busch says he isn't going to run anymore. If they go back to a red where it talked about um, the, uh, that all-star team that they've utilized, if we go back to practice and qualifying for next year, your cup drivers don't necessarily want to be in as many races Danny Hamlin, Christopher Bell, um, or Martin Truex to get track time. Not to say, again, they won't for sponsors or certain situations, but they utilized it this year more to get that track time that they couldn't get at the cup level. So going to be interesting to what what Joe Gibbs does as a final decision with their organization in the Xfinity Series. Okay. We've got Joe Gibbs in this conversation now. Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, Jay brings up a good point about getting a team built around them. But at the same time, I don't really buy into that too much, especially at the Xfinity Series level. Yes, it's obviously an advantage to have a team built up around you. But I I, I can't really fault the Xfinity Series regulars for a guy like Kyle Busch or Martin Truex or Christopher Bell coming down from the Cup Series and stealing their lunch money. You kind of expect that when a top-level cup driver comes down to drive top equipment in the Xfinity Series, you expect them to be contenders, if not race-winning favorites every week, and they usually are. The thing that kind of exposes the Xfinity Series a bit is we now have two 
multi-race winners in the series who don't have a team built around them in the Xfinity Series, and they don't have any previous experience in the big three NASCAR major touring series. Namely, Ty Gibbs is a full-time ARCA driver. He has never run a full-time truck series schedule. I don't know that he even has a single truck series start. Josh Berry also has not run a full-time ARCA schedule, has not run a full-time truck schedule. I think he has one or two starts in the trucks. Both of them have come to the Xfinity Series this year, run extremely well, and both of them have won two races for the case of Josh Berry and three races from Ty Gibbs, and they've been competitive to win more races than that. And they don't have a team built around them, nor do they have significant experience behind them to bring into the series. So the fact that Daniel Hemrick has had multiple full-time seasons in top-level equipment in the Xfinity Series, albeit not necessarily built all the way around him, that excuse only goes so far in terms of justifying keeping him around on on the potential of what might come in the future when there's guys out there clearly going out there and capitalizing on the few opportunities that they have right now. Yeah, I think you have to look at what Colleague Racing has done well. And I think that one of the things that I've been impressed with with Colleague Racing is their team uh, camaraderie. Uh, These drivers really support one another Uh, on the track what I don't really know for next year and I think it will become apparent is how many drivers will be part of that college racing team in the Xfinity series Um, and uh, but the team experience there is a positive one and I think that that would be good for Daniel Hemrick Daniel Hemrick I feel like has kind of been an island unto himself in some of these cases where he has been racing uh, with some of these other organizations. And I haven't seen the same kind of team camaraderie at Joe Gibbs Racing that I have seen at uh, Colleague Racing. Is there team camaraderie? Yes, but there's also a great deal of competitiveness. Uh, At Colleague Racing, I, I really see these guys supporting one another and celebrating with one another when they're successful. Uh, and, and I think that that's, a, that that's something to be looked at as well. So I, I think everybody's bringing up good points on both sides here. Uh, I have the same concerns, but at the same time, I do, I'm not quite uh, where Mike is, but I'm not quite where Jay is either. I'm, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle between both of you guys. Uh, when it comes to college racing, I, I'm willing to look to see what happens in this coming year and what are their announcements that they have forthcoming. So uh, I, I do have faith in college racing uh, of what they can maybe do to help uh, uh, Daniel Hamrick have a breakout year. Jay? Yeah, and to bring in another driver comparison of finding that right spot with the right team uh, whether it be the entire team as an organization, as Sharon talked about, with the right crew chief. I look at Daniel Suarez. when He goes into track house racing, a new team, driver that hasn't exactly shown the best of stats as far as the Cup Series, comes in and they didn't get a win, but showed a lot better than we expected as a first-year team. And I think that's the kind of organization that Colleg Racing is as well, that you know, Sharon mentioned it, just the commitment they have to each other, pairing up the right people or however they make it work, that they have shown they can do that. So 
I think Daniel Hemrick is a great fit there. Uh, I think he's going to do well. I think Matt Benedetto is another one, uh, and we'll bring that up as a separate hot topic, but another driver that just the right combination, you know, it may take a two years or three years uh, to develop that within the organization, and these drivers don't seem to get it because even though they run good, they aren't getting the victories. Yeah, think about Martin Truex Jr. He didn't do really well until he he got with the right organization. And Joe Gibbs Racing sometimes, too. Uh, we've seen drivers leave Joe Gibbs Racing and do better than they did at Joe Gibbs Racing. So, and, and it's been more than one driver. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, no, Andy's not here yet. So, Mike, we'll go to you for the next hot topic. Sure. Well, Jay brought up one that I, I had suggested in the in the comments or in the, uh, what do you call it, our, our chat group. So I'm going to steal one of the ones he brought up. Uh, Venturini Racing has proposed a, they, they're describing it as a halftime break uh, within NASCAR races. And kind of the general idea is a stoppage in the middle part of the race where uh, the teams will be able to take big swings and adjustments. The media can get driver interviews, stuff like that. Uh, but an interesting idea from Venturini. Wonder what everyone's thoughts on that are. Okay, Jay. Well, the concept itself, I understand. There's some benefits to it. I don't think at the at the top three level we need to do that. We saw it in the truck series when they started um, as they got their feet on the ground and before they had full time uh, full time truck series crews and everything. That we saw that. Uh, I understand it at the lower tier series. Again, it comes down to the cost. Uh, a big thing of it is cost. Now, I understand his point of you want to see a great second half of the race, give these teams you know, that opportunity, 10 solid minutes to work on their car and get it better for the second half run. But there's a reason the Cup Series, the top, top guys, whether it be crewmen, crew chiefs, drivers, get to that level because they can do it on the fly, make those adjustments during the race, make the car ready to go when it comes off the trailer if they don't get qualifying or practice in. So I don't know that I want to see it come to the top three series. Uh, If they were to do it, I'm sure that they would uh, maximize the benefit from it. Like I said, I can see his point to that, as well as then you talk about TV media coverage, just like we do with the stage breaks. They get an interview in with the driver, or they get to talk to these drivers during that halftime break if they were to do it, they're going to maximize it, and I think some th- good things could come of it, but I don't think it needs to be done, at least not at the top three level. Yeah, I have to kind of agree with that. We've got the stage breaks now, um, and we do get uh, interviews with the drivers during those stage breaks uh, where they talk to them in car and get their thoughts. They talk to the crew chiefs. Um, I, I I agree. This is the premier series, and uh, I think you need to do things that are going to separate them uh, from the Arkham Menard series. Uh, however, I will say that is a huge adjustment for drivers that are coming from the Arkham Menard series or from, uh, you know, the East or the West series uh, to make uh, the pit because they're just not used to those types of pit stops in those series. So I see where he's coming from. I think he's trying to make it less of a transition uh, for the drivers coming from the Arkham Menard series. 
but I don't think it's the right thing to do for NASCAR's premier series. These guys uh, uh, are accustomed to making decisions uh, under the current format. I like the stage breaks. Uh, I think it's uh, a good thing for the racing. It's done really good things for the racing in all three of those series. So I'm not in favor of that. Uh, But uh, I I can see where he's coming from, but I don't think it's going to accomplish uh, exactly what he thinks it's going to accomplish. And uh, I'm a big fan of venturing in motorsports, but I'm just not a fan of this particular idea. So, Mike? Yeah, count me in the same uh, same group as y'all. I understand the point, but I'm also strongly opposed to the idea. Look, we've already got a competition, at least one competition caution, two stage breaks, and Quinn House. That's more than enough stoppages in the race already. We don't need more. And the worst thing that we've got going for the for the sport right now is in the Xfinity series and the Truck series when they're doing race weekends on their own and they do the dead pit stops, and that uh, is a it's a massive, just, it's a grind on the TV show. I, they, they are already doing driver interviews. The teams are already taking big swings at adjustments. And that sounds a whole lot like what Venturini is proposing right now is it's going to look a whole lot like those dead pit stops. And that's some of the worst 15 minutes to 20 minutes of television that NASCAR broadcasts right now. And, you know, as a race fan, I tune it out and maybe I come back to the race. Maybe I don't um, because it's just, there's nothing to it. And yeah, I get that they want to work on the cars. They want to make them better, but you work on the car and you make it better before you show up to the racetrack. And if you miss it, sorry, man, you missed it. You're going to have to try it again next week. That's just how racing goes. Uh, He's basically looking to get a do over uh, on the car setup, which is just not really the, the, the way it goes in racing. Sorry about your luck. Um, And and from a a fan perspective, I can't see any way that this would be beneficial or entertaining for the fans who are trying to watch a a coherent, entertaining show on TV. They do it in SRX somewhat, but it's the break between the different heat races. So, yeah, you've got some downtime where they're getting the the cars ready, uh, going from the qualifying heats into the main race, but they don't stop the main race in the middle of the show just to stop it and interview drivers and, and whatnot. So I don't think right. that there's any way that that would translate well into one of the top series either. Jay, any follow-up? Quite be as harsh as Mike there, but there, there are some valid points there. We, we hear the fans uh, as a group, uh, Mike obviously being one of them, that talk about that, and that's why they, they, they talked about shortening races uh, of the – attention span so yeah taking that 10-15 minutes you're, you're feeding into that uh, sentiment that hey we want to be done get it get it get it going be done so I think there would be a lot of fan lashback uh, about it uh, I can't say I've heard a lot of what Mike called the of against what Mike called the dead pit stops um, where you don't lose positions on pit road I am not a fan of it I know it only happens a couple times a year um, so I'm okay with it. I generally uh, am not listening or watching the, the races live, it seems like. So when I'm watching it, I'm fast-forwarding anyway. But I'm also one that if they show five hours of practice, I'm going to watch five hours of practice. I'm going to watch, uh, you know, the hour and a half of qualifying. That's just me. And I realize I am in the minority of that. Um, but so I think that, that they'd really have to take a look at that, uh, the fan lashback, 
as well as then you're talking about the TV package uh, when it comes to that because we are there again. We already have the issue of they're breaking up the racing for for commercials. I know they've gone to the side by side that appeased some of it, but to have another downtime like that uh, certainly can cause some issues. And I, I don't know that the benefit of it like Venturini's looking for of, hey, we're going to have all top-notch cars then in the second half because they've had this window to work on it. You know, they've had how many weeks prior to, like Mike said, show up to the track with a good car, and they have how many weeks prior to work on it. What makes you think they're going to get it done in 10, 15 minutes? Exactly. I don't really have anything to add, so I'll uh, move on to Mike's uh, final comments here on this topic. I think we've covered it pretty well. There's really not a whole lot to beat around. I really don't think this idea is going to go anywhere. Yeah, I, I don't think Venturini has that much influence or pull within NASCAR to make it happen. But then again, the choose rule came about more or less just because Austin Dillon suggested it on Twitter and everyone liked it, and that's worked out all right. So hopefully this doesn't end up like the choose rule where you know the good idea fairy lands on somebody's shoulder and, uh, and it, it grows legs and runs from there. Um, the choose rule, that turned out to be pretty decent. Halftime, let's leave that for the ball sports. Okay. Uh, Jay, you're up for the next topic. Well, as Mike put it up on, on the uh, team chat, is Kevin Harvick uh, playing head games with uh, Chase Elliott. Uh, and we know what happened between them. Uh, Harvick seems to thrive on that of, of getting in another driver's head. So is this deal between Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick done? And uh, how, how hard is uh, Harvick pushing it? <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, uh, Mike, your thoughts? I, I don't know. Obviously, there was some pretty serious beef between the two of them at Bristol and, and after the race. Whether that's going to carry over, obviously, those two are, are smart enough and mature enough. They didn't wreck each other at Las Vegas. You're going too fast. Ask Joey Gates. They're probably not going to wreck each other at Talladega. Again, going too fast, although Kevin Harvick does have a history of wrecking a lot of cars at Talladega all at once. So I, I guess I couldn't put it completely past them, but I really don't think either one of them is going to intentionally wreck the other one at Las Vegas. Uh, as far as the rest of the races are concerned, well, there's really not a great opportunity because the way the season's been going so far, Harvick's not going to have a chance at it. We've got the Charlotte Roval coming up, which is a, a slower track. You could put the bumper to somebody, but I think uh, unless something unforeseen happens, the only time that Elliott's going to be seen uh, by Harvick is when Elliott is going from inevitably the back of the field where they tend to put themselves from time to time all the way to the front while Harvick is stuck somewhere around 15th. Same thing for Martinsville. Elliott will be up in the front. Harvick will be in the back. I really don't think there's going to be a chance of the two interacting with each other at Martinsville either. So maybe at Phoenix, if, uh, if it comes down to that, Elliot made sure that Harvick didn't win at Bristol. Maybe Harvick does take a shot at making sure Elliot doesn't win at Phoenix. Okay. I will say um, I know Harvick to be a promoter, and he is done this year after year after year. Uh, he typically comes up with some way of generating interest in what's going on. And we all know that the rivalry uh, and when some when there's a, a discussion on the track like they had last week, uh, uh, people take note of it and they want to tune in and find out what's going to happen next. Harvick this week said that talking to Elliot was like talking to his five-year-old. 
so I do get the feeling uh, that he is playing a little bit of head games with Chase Elliott. Uh, I don't know that Chase Elliott's going to go for it. I think he's mature enough that he can look the other way and, and not listen to that kind of stuff. But uh, I think it's it's more for promotion purposes than anything else to keep people engaged in the playoffs. Um, so we'll have to see what Harvick does at Talladega and at Martinsville. It has not been his year so far. Uh, he hasn't had a whole lot of attention, so this is one way of drawing attention to him So, and to what's going on. Chase Elliott is the defending uh, champion, so uh, if he's going to get into anybody's head, uh, that's the head that he wants to get into. I, I really don't think it's going to work. I think Carvick's uh, track record speaks for a promoter, and he's doing what he does he's promoting. Uh, Jay? Well, and it it might be motivation, self-motivation and team motivation for his team. We've seen that in the past where it talked about him calling out his pit crew uh, uh, during a championship run and and races. So uh, self-motivation, but also I think he obviously, I I would say, obviously didn't feel satisfied with what was said in the the holler once they moved inside, still having that disagreement of – what happened and uh, the, I thought again I found it funny it definitely caught my attention you referenced uh, him saying it was like talking to a seven-year-old or uh, Keelan uh, his son Keelan so I, you know like like you said it, it draws that interest to it uh, we saw him race side by side there at uh, Las Vegas and I don't know if they ever found any audio that Harvick was warned that he was coming uh, they ran close. Now, like you said, they're both smart enough to know Las Vegas, Talladega isn't the place to do something intentionally. Okay, throw that in there. When we get to the Roval, uh, Martinsville, now those are tracks that something can happen uh, real easily. Uh, even if one is in the front, one's in the back, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that assessment by Mike, but uh, there's still opportunities. I mean, Chase obviously made an opportunity at Bristol, and he was lapsed down. You know, we've seen that in the past. Uh, I think back to Matt Kenseth and Joey Logano. Uh, I don't think it'll be anything that obvious. The one key thing I think that uh, all the broadcasters on Race Hub talked about, as long as they are currently both in the playoffs, I don't think either one of them does anything that's going to create an enemy and put their championship hopes at risk. If in this next round, and I'll go with Harvick being at the bottom, that he gets knocked out, I think that third round going for the final four, you may see him do a lot to maybe not allow Chase Elliott the opportunity, uh, whether it be an intentional takeout or a taking his line as Elliott did at Bristol, if you take that road. But I think as long as they are both in the championship hunt, they don't want to make that enemy. They're going to try and set it aside. And maybe it'll boil into next year too early on. Don't know. But uh, it, we'll have to see whether or not they still feel there's a score to be settled. Okay. Uh, Mike, well, any follow-up? 
Yeah, Sharon, you're 100% right. There's, there's obviously at least a certain degree, if not an overwhelming degree, of marketing and salesmanship going on here. This is the NASCAR playoffs. It's their, NASCAR spent decades trying to make this into a big deal, bigger than just a, you know regular races that happen throughout the year. And part of that is building the stories and the drama that's going to get people to watch and tune in. Harvick's been around this business long enough to understand how that goes, especially not just from the driver's standpoint. He's also done the team owner thing, and he's also done the media thing. So he's got a whole wide range of experience to understand how that works. So, yeah, absolutely, there's a large amount of promotion going on there. Uh, Dale Earnhardt and Jeff Gordon are another good pair that were – they really worked into playing up the rivalry that they had between the two of them. And they did have some heated time on the racetrack, although it was, it was a very respectful kind of rivalry, but they definitely did play up the on-track rivalry between the two of them. And if you watch the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, was it Fox, uh, Fox's special uh, regarding the rivalry between the two of them, you find out that, yeah, they knew what they were doing in terms of promoting right. and selling merchandise and getting people to watch races and show up to races. So, yeah, the promotion end of it is extremely important, and I think Harvick is, is well aware of it. I'm, I'm sure Elliot is as well. Um, so, yeah, you're 100% right that there's that angle on there. Uh, the other thing I think is in play here, though, is – I think Kevin Harvick is kind of feeling a little bit of march of time here. For the past few years, we've been talking about, hey, one of these young guys who are coming up into the sport now, you Chase Elliott, Blaney, Larson, um, Logano was kind of on the leading edge of that, but I don't really count him in that same group as you know, Elliott, Blaney, Larson, et cetera. Um, these young guys who came into the series in the middle of the decade but really haven't come into their own until really the past two years or so. And, I think that's really happened, especially this year, where Chase Elliott wins the championship last year. Kyle Larson has just dominated the series this year. And the, you know, the, the previous generation of drivers, your Kevin Harvick, your Martin Truex, maybe even a little bit Kyle Busch, they kind of feel that their best years are behind them. Maybe they got a couple more ahead of them, but they certainly got far more years behind them. And every driver talks about you don't know when that, when that last win is going to come. And... I, with as rough of the year as Kevin Harvick has had this year, I can't help but feel like maybe he's got a little bit of now or never feeling. And if he lets this slip away against a guy like Chase Elliott or anyone else for that matter, his opportunity to try it again next year or the year after that, those are getting pretty limited. So that's got to be a little bit of a driver behind Kevin Harvick as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that Kevin Harvick did feel – that that race at Bristol was his best chance to get a victory uh, and kind of build some momentum for his team going into the remainder of the playoffs. And that got foiled by uh, Chase Elliott. So um, it gave him a reason to pick a a fight with Chase Elliott and have that conversation. Uh, But the fact that he continued uh, with the comments this week tells me that he's uh, kind of prolonging it a little bit uh, for promotion purposes uh, just by the fact of what he is saying. Uh, But then also, uh, I also agree with Jay that if he's going to do something, uh, these are not the races to do it. Talladega may be uh, an opportunity, but Martinsville is certainly a good opportunity if if he's going to keep uh, if he's that serious about it that he wants to keep Chase Elliott from getting a second championship, 
uh, he might be, uh, you never know, there might be some jealousy here, too, that Chase Elfield won a championship and, and possibly on his way to a second championship. Uh, Kevin Harvick uh, just might not want him to to have that happen. Uh, so he may do what he needs to do to keep him from moving on. So we have to wait and see how that plays out. Uh, but I think more than anything, I think it's uh, promotion purposes. Uh, Jay? Yeah, uh, and and like I said, you've said it before. We've seen this uh, back even uh, when he went to toe-to-toe with Denny Hamlin and a couple others. Uh, you know, really put that pressure on mentally as far as getting in their head, playing those mind games. We know that he is capable of that and does like to do it. So maybe he really does feel his team is in position, and, and that's why he's starting. The, you know, Bristol being one race uh, that he had really the shot at winning. I don't know that we've seen that a whole lot this year, uh, that he's got that confidence ride, riding high and feels he's got a shot to get into the next round and, and make a run for the championship. So that's why he's starting it, uh, or at least keeping it, it alive at this point. And, and like you said, uh, you're right. He does a lot as far as uh, the promotion. He knows that side of it as well from all aspects, Uh, team owner, driver, uh, sponsors. He does a great job with that. So uh, several benefits to it, and we'll see if it it plays out down the road. Okay. Uh, Let me see. I got to see if uh, Andy has shown up, and I don't see him on right now. So, uh, Mike, we'll go to you for the next topic. All right, so Denny Hamlin went the entire regular season without a win. He's now won two of the previous four races. Is this momentum on Denny Hamlin's side finally turning the corner, and does he have a chance of getting it done this year? Okay, Mike. Uh, Jay? Oh, he clearly has a shot. Uh, we had him as a, as a pre-early-on favorite uh, with how well he was running. We did see the lag, and they self-admitted that. They kind of went through a stretch through through the summer of maybe not as on top. But since the playoffs have started, right back to that form, uh, top five finishes, two victories, uh, picking up the first victory in every round has got to be uh, such a great feeling. Um, so he's building those bonus points, too, as far as if he needs to carry him in through the third round. I think he very much has to be considered a contender, and I know they've already started now talking about comparing it to the to the Tony Stewart situation uh, against Carl Edwards. Said he wasn't worthy to mm-hmm. be there uh, and come out and win half of the races. Well, I don't know that Hamlin ever said, well, we're not worthy to be here. They had kind of hit that lull. But Sharon's one that said we might see that out of Harvick. I think we're seeing it out of Denny Hamlin. Uh, you know, it didn't get overly concerned or fall apart. During the summer, just had a little bit of a lull where they weren't quite on top, but they came out in the playoffs. They said, hey, we're here to play. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that uh, I did think it was going to be Harvick. It turns out that Hamlin's won two uh, of those races so far, and there's certainly enough races he could in, win three more and do what uh, Tony Stewart did a few years back. I do see a little bit of emotional maturity from uh, Denny Hamlin uh, that I have not seen in previous years. But I've also seen him slip back a couple of times uh, that make me question whether or not he's actually there or not yet. 
uh, that's yet to be seen. If he can keep his head to the grindstone and not get distracted with some of these other things that are going on uh, that kind of take him off track, uh, then, yeah, I think he could be on his way to winning a championship. Uh, but he's, he's, he's got some tough competition uh, to get through if he's going to make that happen. Uh, and he's going to need to do what Tony Stewart did a couple of years ago if he's going to make that happen. Uh, so, But that emotional maturity is going to be the key to it for Denny Hamlin. I've seen him fall apart uh uh, from an emotional perspective uh, that has ruined his that winning a championship in the past. Uh, the question is, can he hold it all together and keep that emotional maturity uh, throughout the remainder of the playoffs uh, to go after that championship? Or, you know, he could end up being a Mark Martin, too, that is a great driver but never wins that championship. We'll have to see how it plays out and uh, what the rest of the story tells us. Mike? Yeah, I think Denny Hamlin has kind of been under the radar this year. I, it's easy to forget since he didn't win any races that he led the regular season points all the way from the week after the Daytona 500 all the way until two weeks before the end of the regular season when Kyle Larson just barely squeaked by him to steal that regular season championship. So Denny Hamlin did have a consistent year, but it was just a very quiet year, at least from a Denny Hamlin standpoint. And contrast that against last year where – Denny seemed like he peaked early last year. He won, I think, seven races prior to going into the playoffs and then won one more in the playoffs. I think he built up all that momentum. And you, I know it's not like a bank account, but it feels like he used up that momentum in the regular season. It was kind of spent by the time they got to the playoffs. Versus this year, it feels like they're peaking now. And we've talked about it before with other drivers where our driver's peaking too early, and we talk about it from various team standpoints throughout the year. I really think that Denny Hamlin and that 11 team is really starting to peak at the right time, and that should make everybody nervous. Now, I don't want to speak too soon. If there's one thing that Denny Hamlin has been very consistent about through his career, it's been (laughs) snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. So don't start writing his name on the trophy yet. But in terms of Denny Hamlin having a chance at winning his first championship, I really think the momentum is on his side. Yes, we've got uh, six more races to go, so there's a lot of ground to cover here, literally and figuratively speaking. But from a momentum standpoint, from a team coherence standpoint, from, like you said, share an emotional maturity standpoint, I think all sides are pointing to Denny Hamlin probably having the best chance of winning a championship this year than he has his entire career. Okay. Uh, Jay, your follow-up? Well, I I really would have thought last year, being that he did have all the victories he did, uh, would have been it. Uh, Like you said, maybe he did uh, peak a little early. uh, And you certainly can't write his name on the trophy. We know that uh, for many, many years you can't be doing that uh, until that race is over and the championship uh, four have it out. Because uh, Kyle Larson's one of them that's going to have something to say about that. You want to talk about maturity, uh, I think we've seen that from Kyle. Races, and Mike, I know you're one of them, you, and you've said it, has a bad car, doesn't make it worse by running into the wall, overdriving it, takes where whatever finish it is that they're going to finish and taking it. So, uh, And they haven't had a peak. They had a little bit of a hot streak there. Uh, but as a whole, they've been consistently the top team all year. 
uh, right behind Denny Hamlin to start the season, and they never really had the waiver or fall off like we saw with Hamlin. Now, that's what makes it interesting going in through these playoffs. We still have Kyle Larson here battling. I know he had an off week there at Vegas. Uh, and, again, you can't even say an off week. It was pitch strategy, the way it played out. That race played out, it kind of looks like it. But he had one of the faster dominant cars, and I think we're going to see that throughout the rest of the playoffs. So I think those two are the two we can pencil in to the final championship for, but uh, I wouldn't press too hard with that pencil either. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that uh, these championships are not easy to win. It takes an enormous amount of focus. It takes uh, an enormous amount of um, uh stamina, if you will, in order to win these championships. And that's why this is the Premier Series. Uh, Denny Hamlin is certainly on the right course right now, uh, but the question remains, uh, and we've seen it happen to several drivers. You know, a lot of people were talking about Ryan Blaney uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, And, you know, Kyle Larson's been on a hot streak, and you know, he had a chance to win and made a bad call on pit strategy um, from the team. So there's a lot of things that can still play out here uh, that could uh, falter that team and that organization. Uh, so I don't want to get hopes up too high. Uh, he certainly has momentum on his side right now. If he can keep that momentum going, that's the sign of a champion. We've talked about champions, championship teams know how to make mistakes, overcome those mistakes, and still go after that victory. And that's what we need to see from Denny Hamlin if he's going to go after a victory this year. But that's what we need to see from any of the teams <laughs> that are competing for the championship this year. Can they go? Can they go the long haul and overcome adversity, overcome mistakes, uh, in order to uh, come out on the on the winning side of things when it's all said and done? And that's that's what we're looking for from our champion again this year. So we'll have to wait and see if it happens. Mike, your follow up. Yeah, I've definitely got to say, Denny Hamlin has been the biggest surprise of the playoffs so far this year. Uh, I didn't expect him to do poorly, but I certainly didn't expect him to do as well as he has. He's definitely, uh, I think I had him going out uh, at the end of this round. I'm not looking at it right now to be sure, but I think I had him going out at the end of this round, if not next round. Uh, So I, I didn't expect an early exit from him, but I also didn't expect him to be as strong of a contender as he's been this year. Everyone's already been talking about Kyle Larson. He's been holding his own very well in the playoffs there's no reason to think Kyle Larson is not going to continue to be a very strong threat for the championship the thing that Kyle Larson has going for him that Denny Hamlin doesn't but is quickly fixing is playoff points Kyle Larson has almost an entire race Mm -hmm. worth of playoff points where he could Kyle Larson could finish dead last at Talladega this week like he did in the spring finish dead last and still not really be in I wouldn't say he's going to be in a comfortable position, but he's not going to be in severe danger of elimination because of all those playoff points he has. Denny Hamlin, on the other hand, if he had not won yesterday, 
he doesn't have that bank of playoff points where he can afford to have a really bad race and still recover from it, especially as you get it tighter and tighter into the round of 12 to 8 down to the championship four. It becomes harder and harder to have that bad race and still recover without that big bank of playoff points like Kyle Larson has. So that's probably Denny Hamlin's biggest weakness, even now with two wins in the playoffs, is his relative lack of playoff points versus some of the competition. The performance has been there, but the safety net is still not there, at least not to the extent of some of the other drivers out there. Um, as far as Final Four goes, I would say Denny Hamlin, again, don't, don't start writing anything too firmly in pencil. Kyle Larson, I'm not going to say a sure thing, but as, as sure of a thing as we can have these days, I would say Kyle Larson is probably a sure thing for the championship four, if for no other reason than that giant bank of playoff points he has. Denny Hamlin looking very strong, obviously already through to the next round. Um, he's got some good tracks in that uh, second to last round there between Texas Kansas and Martinsville, not necessarily all the best tracks for Denny, but but Martinsville, he tends to run very well at most years. Uh, And then Phoenix, I don't know. We'll see. Um, The other one, I would say Chase Elliott is uh, once again doing fairly well in the playoffs. Yes, he had a tire failure at Darlington and he had the uh, issue with Kevin Harvick at Bristol, but both times the car was competitive running up front, potentially could win, obviously finished second last night. I would say Chase Elliott and the nine team are putting together a very strong effort the defense of their championship, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the championship four again. But beyond that, there's three out of the four. I would say that fourth slot is wide open right now and very difficult to predict who might end up in that fourth slot. Okay. Uh, Jay? Let's go to you for the next top topic. All right. Well, I was looking through. I don't know that uh, that we have another one on the uh, on the board. Yeah, we covered those three, so uh, I uh, don't know if we have another one we want to cover uh, here yet tonight or not. Okay. Mike, Mike, you got yeah, any others? We... Well, um, the, uh, the one of the ones I was kind of thinking about was reference the big truck series wreck that we had this past Friday. Um, I know teams tend to run one spotter at oval tracks and multiple spotters at road courses. Is it a good idea potentially for NASCAR to mandate more than one spotter at all tracks or at least all tracks over a certain length? Because I think a big issue with Sheldon Creed hitting Chandler Smith as hard as he did is Creed couldn't see through the wreck, and his spotter on the top of the uh, the front stretch press box couldn't see through the infield structures and whatever else was in his line of sight. So should NASCAR mandate a second spotter in light of the big wreck that we had this weekend? Okay, let me take a moment here to welcome Andy to the show. And Andy, I think you heard what the hot topic is, uh, so I'll let you chime in next. Well, I'm only an hour late, but better late than never. So uh, <laughs> thankfully, I was able to call in just in time. But yeah, I did hear the question there, and, and you know, it's not really something I've thought of, but it kind of would make sense. It's just a question of would the teams be willing to pay for a second spotter? Um, you know, on these ovals where they've been doing it with one spotter this entire time. Um, The only thing you can say about that wreck, I know Mike and I were talking about it as it happened, was it definitely was a visibility problem. Obviously, Sheldon wasn't going to pile in there if he thought he was going to hit the 18 truck, but ultimately he did. 
Um, ultimately, this father gave him the best information he possibly could, which unfortunately still led to a, a very massive crash down the back straightaway. Um, I don't know. That could be something you see down the road. You know, should they do it or should they not? I think any time that something like this happens that, you know, creates a safety issue possibly moving forward, then, yeah, you might you might say that it's a good idea. Um, so, you know, if NASCAR were to look at it and say, man, we really need two spotters because this is a safety hazard, sure. But, you know, I, I don't know. I think they've been doing it with one spotter for so long that, you know, ultimately wrecks like this happened once in a great while where it was a spotter slash visibility problem. Um, certainly at the road courses, we see multiple spotters because of visibility issues, you know, for the whole course. Um, generally speaking, with these ovals, if you're high enough, you can see most of, if not all, of the racetrack. I think in this particular instance, it was nighttime, uh, and it was just hard to see back there. But, you know, from a safety standpoint, would it make sense? Sure. From a logistical standpoint, would the teams be willing to do it from, you know, a financial standpoint? Probably not, but you never know. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Oh, before you go, Jay, let me go ahead and do my announcement. We're All right, coming go ahead. up to uh we're coming up to ten thirty PM Eastern time and we go off the air at exactly ten thirty PM Eastern time. Uh however we do continue recording the rest of our conversation as part of bonus our bonus overtime material on the podcast. So if you're a new listener tuning in for the first time, uh, we make this announced time to let you know there is a way for you to hear the rest of the conversation, uh, and that is I go out on Twitter when we finish up our, uh, our uh, broadcast here, when we finish up our conversation here, I go out on Twitter uh, with a link for the podcast. And the podcast is available via that link or at fanforacing.com. And all you have to do is fast forward the player to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Uh, Again, that's uh, bonus overtime material uh, that you're tuning into. So, uh, again, new listeners, uh, uh, we don't want you to be caught off guard or not know how you can hear the rest of that conversation. So uh, that's why we take the time out at this point uh, to let you know. So with that, Jay, I'm curious to know your thoughts. This is one of those situations that wrecked the way it happened. I don't know that there is a fix action to stop it. Uh, When you heard Sheldon Creed talking about it, he said the concern he had with was the car next to him, and that's what he was watching, sped up to get away from him. And, yeah, there was a truck there. Uh, so I think it's just one of those you know, one-time things of, of that situation, the way it developed. My, my thing with uh, the safety aspect of it, by putting another person on the radio, is now a matter of how do you determine who sees it first, whose side of the track is it on, or whatever. When you talk about having multiple spotters at a road course, they have their section. When the car is in their section, they're the one responsible for it, okay? So it puts it in a tough position. If you were to have a spotter, say, on both sides of the track, it's on their side of the track, but we don't know then the smoke might be in front of that spotter. The one on the other side might have the better view, but if it's not in his section, he not say anything because he thinks it's in the other guy's territory, 
then, or if they both try to talk at the same time, you get a garbled message, you don't hear anything. So I don't know that a second spotter would be the answer to even attempt to fix this. Like I said, I think it was one of those rare, just it happened. You know, uh, the fact that he was throttling up uh, made it even worse uh, as he was trying to, again, get away from what he thought was the threat, thought he had a clear lane, turned out not to be. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, Jay, but I don't think this is an isolated incident. I think we've seen several incidents uh, this season uh, across all three series where I I felt like it was a spotter issue not giving the information, either a spotter issue not giving the information or the driver not heeding the information that they've been given and causing incidents on the track that I think could have been avoided. And so I don't know if another spotter is the answer, but I do think that these spotters need to sit down with their teams and figure out what went wrong in those situations. And there have been multiple situations this year uh, across all three series. I think they need to take sit down and figure out what needs to change in the information that they're providing so that these, it seems like isolated incidences don't happen again in the future. But, you know, we, we've said it before, first time's an accident, second time's coincidence, third time it's starting to become a habit. And the fact that we've seen uh, those not exactly the same as what happened in the truck series, but similar situations where I feel like where was the spotter with the information to the driver uh, that caused that accident? I think we've had multiple uh, situations this season, and I think that that has to be addressed. Uh, they have to uh, come to an agreement between the driver and the spotter uh, on not losing their focus, uh, heeding the information that's been given. Whatever the issue is, they need to address that. And uh, I think that there is an issue with spotter communication uh, from one direction or another uh, that needs to be explored and addressed uh, so that these unnecessary incidents don't happen uh, repeatedly, uh, causing accidents uh, unnecessarily. So, Mike, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, you all bring up some really good points and, and some varied good points on that one. Uh, Andy, for example, with the logistics, I, probably not a big deal for the Cup Series. They'll just write another check and, and you know, what's another couple million to a Cup Series team? But then you start talking about the, especially down in the Truck Series, and you get out of the top ten in the Truck Series, and you're talking about teams that maybe they got half a dozen full-time employees there. So where are they going to source a second spotter from? I, I don't know. I, I can't really force them to do it. I'm not the guy writing the check. Um, so it's, it's really hard to expect those teams to do it. Xfinity series in a little bit similar boat. Yeah. They got a little bit deeper pockets there, but again, you get to the back half of the Xfinity series field and, and yeah, you got shoestring budget teams there again, uh, who probably couldn't afford another spotter on the payroll. So, yeah, it's difficult, but then, Sharon, you bring up a good point as well, is the Sheldon Creed incident was a – it could have been a whole lot worse than it was. It wasn't great, but it could have been a whole lot worse. And, you know, 
how many more of those incidents do we need to see before we finally say, hey, we got to do something about this? And I'm, I'm not a big fan of doing something for the sake of doing something. But at the same time, we should have people taking a look at and see what can we do here that will be constructive and hopefully help alleviate the danger here. Yeah, Sheldon Creed ended up hitting Chandler Smith really hard in the left rear quarter panel. If he had been a couple feet further forward on the truck, he would have hit Chandler Smith square in the driver's side door at not necessarily full race speed, but probably about 75, 80% race speed straight into the driver's side door of Chandler Smith's truck. So, Fortunately, that accident didn't go as bad as it could have, but how many more chances do we need to take before we start going down that road of figuring out what we could potentially do to alleviate that problem? Okay, Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, you know, so in this instance, like Mike just said, is, you know, if they could, I don't know if it's NASCAR or the team or whoever, but sit down and review the incident, and, and maybe they could identify areas where the visibility was reduced and, and maybe improve that. Maybe they help make the back, the backstretch visibility improved, you know, lighting or, or obstacle, whatever the case may be. But maybe that's what you focus on to try to make it easier for the spotter to help their driver navigate around any on-track incidents. Um, that's probably where I'd start, you know, if I were to go about it and, and go from there. I think any, any time there's an accident or incident like this, you can always learn something from it and apply things learned from that moving forward. And, you know, in this case, it sounds like a visibility issue. So let's find out what the visibility restrictions were and, and try to improve upon that. Okay, Jay. This is going to sound really odd because uh, by no means am I not in favor of improving safety and preventing accidents like this hap- from happening, but I, I really don't see where you're going to be able to do anything that, that would have uh, changed that. Uh, there was another driver, and I can't think of who it was, uh, that got pinched up against the wall, uh, said that his spotter told him to go low, He's driving the truck, made that instant call to go high, said it didn't work. And he said the next time he may listen to his spotter, and that not work too. So, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those I don't know that you can necessarily eliminate all of it. Uh, and and as, as you guys were talking in my head, I was like, well, maybe we should do something with the tires so that they don't smoke as much when, when you lock them up, you know, because that would reduce the smoke, which is what causes the visibility issue. I mean – Yes, I am all about safety and doing things to improve it. And, and like I said, I see issues with the dual spotter uh, on, a, on a regular mile and a half track, so I don't know that that's it. Uh, I, I really believe this is one of those that just happened the way it did. I mean, uh, like I said, uh, Sheldon Creed said it. You know, he, he by no means was trying to uh, run. I saw some Twitter uh, issues with that of, him speeding while under the caution. Well, if the wreck is next to you and you're trying to get away from it, you know, that's, that's your instinct. Okay. There's cars spinning alongside me. I'm going to drive away from it. Same as you do with a deer when you're out on the highway, you know, I'm trying to drive away from it and somehow or another, you still hit it. I mean, there's just, and you're talking about minimal reaction time. So uh, I'm all for exploring and discussing things that, that may be able to improve it and prevent it. I don't know that we've come across one or if there is one to actually eliminate it or even reduce it. 
Yeah, you're right. The the reaction time is sometimes uh, very minimal uh, for them to have a, a reaction time. Uh, but I think there have been enough situations. You just mentioned where the guy said, uh, the, the guy told me to go, the spotter told me to go low, I went high. Um, yeah, maybe he would have still hit it if he'd gone low, but um, there's been enough incidents this year that I think it's worthy uh, to take note of it. Uh, because Joey DeGase and his situation, uh, that was a very, very hard hit uh, that he took uh, that could have really hurt him very badly. Um, Mike brought up that uh, he came very close uh, to making it worse uh, with Chandler Smith. Um, I think there's been enough of these incidents uh, that these guys need to kind of um, uh, take note of it. And if there's anything at all possible that they can do differently, uh, that these guys do it. Because um, we don't want to wait for a really something horrific to happen uh, to have those conversations. Now's the time to have those conversations. And, yes, there's going to be some cases where, the reaction time isn't enough or, or whatever. Uh, but if if you can save one situation uh, from being a horrific accident, it's worth taking that time in my way of thinking. So, Mike, you're up next. Like I said before, I, I don't want to, to advocate for some sort of a knee-jerk reaction, doing something for the sake of doing something. If we can intelligently look at the situation and find some improvements to be had, that'd be great. Andy brought up a good point about visibility. Uh, I haven't been to all the racetracks. I haven't been to Las Vegas. But a, a lot of the racetracks that I've been to, they've got a lot of obstructions in the infield, whether they be the big screen TVs or multi-layer like fan garage experiences or grandstands or, or just sheer distance at places like Daytona or Talladega, figure out some way to improve spotters visibility down in those hard to see areas, namely the lower part of the backstretch on a lot of these, a lot of these racetracks, maybe a fixed camera, that, uh, that gives the spotters who are up on the roof a view of the backstretch, and the spotters can see that screen in addition to what they're seeing with their own eyes out off the, off the top of the spotter stand. I don't know. Just something along those lines to help get a little bit more visibility for the spotters and a little bit more information to the drivers. Jay's right. There is a certain degree of, well, that's just going to happen. It's the nature of racing. And I completely agree with them. Uh, I don't think that it's, it's remotely possible to make those kind of wrecks completely disappear. But at the same time, I agree with Sharon where if we can try and take steps to mitigate that risk and hopefully keep somebody out of the hospital, I'm all for that too. Okay. Uh, Andy. You have not been able to bring up a hot topic here tonight. Uh, was there a hot topic that you wanted to make sure we discussed tonight? Well, truthfully, not knowing where we are with previous hot topics, I'm just going to let the others go because I don't know what we have or have not discussed. So it's probably easier to just go with what hasn't been discussed already, and I'll just go from there. Okay. Uh, well, even if it's a topic that we've already discussed, we'd sure like to get your point of view. So is there a hot topic that uh, you want to give your point of view on? 
Well, I guess one of them was news announced over the weekend. Daniel Hembrick going to Colleague Racing for 2022. Um, I'm glad that he, you know, was able to find a competitive ride for next year. I'm not sure why his time at Joe Gibbs Racing was a one-and-done type season. Uh, certainly he's driven for some really good teams in the sport and, and just hasn't been able to find victory lane yet. Maybe colleague racing that right fit. I'm not sure, but um, certainly glad for him that he was able to find uh, a new home for 2022 and, and hopefully it's the right situation for him. Good guy, you know, someone that genuine, genuinely seems like a, one of the good guys to pull for in the sport. And, um, you know, again, not quite sure what happened with JGR, but, um, you know, good scenario for him uh, for 2022. So just wanted to talk about that. And then let me just take a look real quick uh, at some of these other hot topics because I know we had quite a few of them that were brought up on the page. Uh, so let me just take a look at that. Um, you okay, guys while talk you're about... doing that, yeah, go ahead, Andy, sorry. real quick while you're doing that, let me see if anybody else wants to comment uh, to what Andy has said there because that is one of the topics that we talked about. Well, I I just say Andy said he didn't understand the one and done at Joe Gibbs Racing. I don't know when he signed, if it was necessarily that intent, but with what we've seen out of Ty Gibbs, him coming along, and the possibility being discussed of them reducing the cars that they have in the Xfinity Series, uh, I think is what kind of led to that. And I say I think that, too, of Harrison Burton also seeing the writing on the wall. Not that, and I said earlier, rats abandoning a sinking, sinking ship, not that Joe Gibbs racing is going in a bad direction, but they are limited. Same as we have at the Cup Series. There, there's no long-term future down the road when you only have a couple at the Cup Series level. So I think that's part of it, too, of the, looking for that opportunity all the way to Cup with the same organization. Okay. Mike, did you have any comments you wanted to add? No, Andy pretty well covered it uh, on top of what we've already discussed previously in the show. So, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Um, I'm sure this isn't the last we're going to talk about it, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. Andy, you had something else you wanted to talk about there. What was that? Yeah, so I'll just briefly touch on a couple of the other ones that I've seen here in our Hot Topic list. Um, obviously the Joey Gase rack, I didn't see it happen live. I must've been out of the room or something when that happened, but, uh, obviously a pretty big wreck there, uh, with a parts failure at the left rear. So certainly glad he's okay. Um, you know, he did go to the hospital, but was quickly released, uh, thankfully. So that was a pretty big crash. I actually saw some better pictures and, and shots of it today, and uh, it was a lot worse than, than I think I thought it was to begin with. So glad he's okay. Hopefully they can figure out what caused the parts failure because the the whole left rear came off the car, which really should not happen. So uh, hopefully they can address that and not have that happen moving forward. And then uh, this is probably one of the fun ones you guys talked about, but the head games between Harvick and Chase Elliott, I thought it was interesting <laughs> Interesting to me that Harvick continued to discuss the matter this week. I thought perhaps the discussion behind closed doors in the hauler last weekend was going to put it to rest because I feel like for the case of both of these drivers, putting an on-track incident like that behind them so that they can focus on going deep into the playoffs 
is probably more important. Uh, Harvick being the veteran, it's kind of a, it's kind of ironic that he's he called Chase Elliott a nine year old, but he's the one that's still talking about it and still complaining <laughs> about it. So, kind of ironic, um, in my opinion. I think honestly, the both of them ought to put it behind him so they can focus on on moving forward. But unfortunately. Um, based on the current playoff standings, Harvick's probably going to be eliminated after this round. Chase Elliott's probably going to go at least to the round of eight, if not the final four. And I'm afraid Harvick is probably going to make life difficult for Elliott moving forward. So um, they better find a way to figure it out because it could be problematic down the road. Okay, I'll comment on that one. I, uh, what I brought up is that I think Harvick is a, a, a born promoter, and uh, he's done this kind of thing before where he he uh, picks a, a beef, if you will, with a driver during the playoffs to kind of create attention and get people talking, and uh, that's what I think he's doing with bringing it up again this week. Uh, but you bring up some good points. It's interesting. Uh, it is interesting that he calls uh, Chase Elliott a nine-year-old, and then he's the one that's still talking about it. But I think he wants to keep that going. But I also think that Carvick felt like Bristol was his best chance to get a victory and kind of get some momentum uh, going for his team, and that was taken away from him by Chase Elliott. I think that Harvick's going to probably do whatever he can do uh, to make sure that Chase Elliott does not make it into the playoffs this year uh, to win a back-to-back championship. So I don't think this is over. I think it's going to probably continue. And... uh, I think Martinsville is where we're going to have to watch Harvick and the Chase Elliott thing continue to play out. Uh, If not at uh, Talladega, then Martinsville for sure. Uh, Any other follow-ups to what Andy had to say that anybody wants to bring up? Mike? No. Okay, go ahead. Oh, well, that, I've really got nothing to, to add on there. I mean, I could take a swipe at, at, at Kevin Harvick being in the twilight of his career, something, something old guy, but I'll leave that be, and, <laughs> and we'll see how it plays out on the racetrack. Okay. I, okay. I, th- I think Andy brought up a good point, the the whole nine-year-old thing, but yet, like you said, he's the one that that's continuing to uh, to bring it on. So, yeah, that was kind of funny, Andy. Well, it's true, and, you know, I, you know, I, I think if I – Honestly, Elliot's probably going to get the better of him as far as the playoffs go anyway, just based on pure performance alone. And and we'll just see what the on-track results say. But, uh, yeah, Martinsville could be interesting later this year, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. Um, anything else that anybody wants to talk about before we close out our show here tonight? Okay, with that, we'll go ahead and do our roundtable conversation then. And, Mike, we'll start with you. That's going to be Mike underscore Orzel on uh, Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Um, I wasn't going to do it. I was thinking about it. But I finally got talked into it by somebody you might hear from him in just a minute. I'm going to Talladega this weekend. I'm going to be at, at the Cup Series race up in the grandstands uh, this Sunday, Sunday, Sunday at Talladega Super Speedway. Can't wait. It's going to be a blast. I'm sure it will be. Uh, Jay? 
I'm trying to decide if he was pointing the finger at me there. I don't remember telling him he had to go to Talladega, but uh, I feel like he was pointing the finger at me there. Um, I Jay, only don't know I... I would ever point at you. <laughs> okay, I saw that at the track this weekend. It wasn't at me, but we had a couple unhappies. <laughs> no. um, you follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And I know we got a little bit of time here, so for the rest of my roundtable, I'll give you an update. I know we didn't get oh, to it uh, to start go. the show. Yeah, our fantasy points. Uh, oh, Mike's leading the truck points. Maybe I don't want to do this. No, I'm just kidding. Mike has taken no, over like the points Let's lead in the truck series. Uh, 97 to 96 over Sharon. I'm at 89, Sam at 86, Andy 85, Tommy 70, Owen 67, James 54. Uh, I believe by my calculations on that one, James is not mathematically eliminated, but he's got to get every point, and the leader every week has to get the lowest point. Uh, he's within a couple of points of being actually eliminated. Uh, Xfinity. Andy and I are tied at 118 now, as Andy had a big weekend there. Mike and Sam are tied at 103, 15 behind us. Then James and Sharon tied at 89. And Tommy and (laughs) Owen, 87, 85. So that one's only 33-point difference. That's two races. We've got plenty of time there. The Cup Series... Andy, uh, you're not mathematically eliminated, but I'll get to you in a minute. Uh, Owen took the lead from me. He's got 163. I'm at 161. Sam is at 154. Sharon at 151. Mike at 144. Then James at 127. Tommy 111. Andy at 72. Again, uh, you need absolutely all max points uh, and some help from above. And overall, I think there's 244 points still left, and we're 100 points separated top to bottom. I'm at 368, Mike at 344, Sam at 343, Sharon 336, Owen 315, Andy 275, James 270, and Tommy 268. So you heard a lot of one point or ties there throughout all of them. This has been such a great season for this uh, with all eight players we have this year. Okay. Thank you, Jay, for uh, reporting on that and and, uh, keeping track all season long. Andy, you're up. Well, Jay, the reason Mike wasn't pointing the finger at you is because he was, in fact, referring to me since I'm going to be at Talladega this weekend, and uh, Mike's actually sitting directly behind me for the cup race in the same session. So that should be fun. Uh, I've never been there before, so I'm really looking forward to it. I'm doing all three races this weekend, so that should be a good time. And uh, uh, CB14 fan on Twitter, and I can assure you I'm going to probably go about the fantasy points or the cup series a little bit differently next year. I just wanted to see how it would shake out. But one thing I won't do is pick a rookie for every single race for next season. I'll, I'll be back to my normal. I'll be back to my normal deal next year for sure. But um, it was just kind of cool to see Wait a minute, how... wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm already calling <laughs> you out in your technicality because CB will not be a rookie next year. So you're still going to take him every week. And you're not going to take your rookie, so technically you'll be correct. Uh, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna probably try to go for points next year. I think so. I got to get myself back in the cup game. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> okay. Well, it's been fun either way. Um, so uh, I am Bamford Racing Site on Twitter. Bamford Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including BamfordRacing.com. And uh, we've got the recaps up as well as uh, our preview show coming up on Thursday for the uh, races that will be taking place at Talladega Super Speedway. And uh, also, we've got a race coming up at Salem this weekend for the Arkham Menard Series, which is the final race for the Sioux Chief Showdown that uh, will determine the championship for that group. So uh, Jay and I will cover all of that on Thursday night, and uh, we will be back here again next Monday night to review all the racing at Talladega and Salem. So uh, definitely looking forward to that, Uh, and uh, as well as the racing uh, this coming weekend. Uh, A big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in, and to our fan for racing crew, uh, Mike and Jay and Andy, for being here for our Hot Topic Sound Off segment tonight. And for Sasa Gala for being here for the first, 90, for, well, first half hour uh, tonight for our review of the racing at um, Las Vegas. So uh, really appreciate everything uh, from all angles there. And... Uh, We'll look forward to uh, talking again on Thursday night. So with that, guys, I think we're ready to call it a night here. All right. Have a great night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.